Hello and welcome to the 250, your weekly podcast looking at the IMDb's top 250 movies of all time. As usual, I'm your host, Darren Mooney, and joining me as always is my co-host, Andrew Quinn. May the force be with you, Darren. And with you too, Andrew. And we've got special guest, film in Dublin editor, um, and breakout role podcast host, Luke Dunn. How are you, Luke? I'm good, Darren. Thank you, thank you guys for having me on. And no worries. I mean, you know, after Baby Geniuses, we felt... You owed me <laughs> <laughs> I think we probably owed you more than one, if we're being entirely honest. Um, but yes, so it is uh, the week, you know, before it's coming up to Christmas. Um, r- the Rise of Skywalker is being released in cinemas this week. And what we normally do at Christmas is we release a Star Wars special. Um, so last year we did uh, Star Wars, A New Hope, uh, with Grace Duffy um, and with Marion Cassidy. And this week, this week we're doing uh, The Empire Strikes Back, Episode not, 5. Not the Star Wars Holiday Special. Yeah, no, unfortunately... That, that, that would be more appropriate. <laughs> that probably would... Well, actually, that aired after Thanksgiving. Um, the Star Wars Holiday Special, in case listeners are not aware... Black and I Friday? Think, what? On Black Friday? or Yeah, well, before Black Friday before was Black a thing. Before Black Friday was a thing. <laughs> before, okay. It was part of the reason that it was. Well, the issue was, I think when we mentioned Star Wars, um, when we discussed Star Wars, we talked about how much Star Wars is a did, merchandising machine. Do they play at the same time as the football? What is it? The Bears play? The Bears <laughs> are, are, are playing on, on Thanksgiving and, um, instead, and, and on the other channel they have Star so, Wars the Christmas special. And the holiday special. Well, the Star Wars holiday special. Holiday special. Holiday sp- yeah, because I mean... We're, yeah, we're we living... can't say Christmas now. Well, it's life day. <laughs> it's it's life day in the world of Star Wars. And it's, it is, if you've not seen it, listeners, you can find most of it online on YouTube. It is an amazing experience. So to give some background on the holiday special. Sonny D. Williams is in it? Uh, oh no wait hold on it's the first uh, it's the first we see of Boba Fett isn't it it is indeed in the animated segment and in fact the actor who played Boba Fett in The Empire Strikes Back talks about how weird it is that he was handed his own action figure before he was sent to costuming uh, which is something very sort of like about how the Star Wars machine operates we're going to talk about Boba Fett I think of course we're probably going to have some questions (laughs) there's so much to say (laughs) (laughs) And, and he's certainly not become a figure who is far more significant than his screen time or characterization oh allow. the things right? it does. yeah it's uh... but anyway the Star Wars Holiday Special when we were discussing Star Wars we talked about merchandising and toys and how important those were but the irony being that like for Christmas 1977 the toys weren't actually ready there was a rush on Star Wars toys they weren't available and what they did is they sold empty boxes um, to to kids and the idea was at Christmas you'd get an empty box and the box would say you can collect your Han Solo action figure in June 1978 Thanks, mom. Um, but anyway, in order to kind of like the issue, and they like the boxes more than and the toys than themselves. The toys themselves, yeah. yeah. The important, the real meaning of Christmas was learned that year. But the idea was coming up the following year, or so they decided that they didn't have. They have to make new boxes to put the toys in them. Uh, yeah, it's just wasteful, Andrew. It's just horribly, horribly wasteful. They didn't send them like wrapped in bubble wrap. After the fact, kind of loose. Yeah, no, no. You you got two boxes. One box containing a voucher, and the other one, uh, you know, literally just containing the toy itself. But and, the idea and we have we have one here. The listeners can't see it, but it, it it's it's in mint condition. But uh, so basically, we'll for, be talking about this for the next hour now. <laughs> for nineteen for in nineteen seventy eight, they had the toys lined up. They're already for Christmas. The only problem was they had no Star Wars related content to sell the toys. So they went to George Lucas and they said, how about a Star Wars holiday special? How about just putting something on TV in the format of a variety show? And Lucas was like, sure, you're going to pay me for this, right? (laughs) Um, And they were like, yeah, sure, whatever. Um, Lucas came up with a number of ideas, including 
One idea that made it the final cut. Were they all bad ideas? They were bad, but kind of amazing. The film, if you haven't seen the Star Wars Holiday Special... Why can't we give George Lucas his creative freedom? (laughs) Yeah. Because we've seen... (laughs) We've seen what happens happens when he's completely unbridled. But the big idea Lucas had for the Holiday Special was to focus it on Chewbacca's family. (laughs) Right? Chewbacca's family are Wookiees. They don't speak English. So if you've watched the Holiday Special, the opening 10 minutes of the Holiday Special are shot like a 50s sitcom featuring a set of Wookiees who don't speak English. It's like something from David Lynch's imagination. It reminds me a lot of rabbits, where you have a situations that are recognizably like sitcom-esque. There's a kitchen, there's a couch, there's a television. There's four Wookiees there, which have different skin color, and they all just make Wookiee uh, noises. Was it uh, Bruce Lavanche? Yeah, Bruce no, Lavanche. Uh, you, you go, Luke. <laughs> I mean they're making those noises while they do some very old oh. family friendly things oh, yeah. but uh, Bruce Darren. that's more Tauntaun I think okay sorry like we'll need that later was <laughs> <laughs> it Bruce Valanche who is one of uh, Lucas's roommates um, at college who was one of the writers on this and actually fought to have his name taken off the holiday special his observation was you're making an episode about people who can't speak English. All you're going to have is like 70 minutes of fat people moaning. I could put a recorder in my bedroom and I'll be able to get most of the audio for the holiday special. Hi-o. Um, yes, and as Luke alluded to... There's George Lucas and Bruce <laughs> Valanche kind of just fat and moaning. Yeah. yeah. Um, but anyway, so... Th- not to derail it too much into the holiday special. If you haven't seen it, there's, Let's keep a, going. Se- there's a sequence where <laughs> Chewbacca's father gets what can only be described as vir- as virtual porn and watches virtual porn on a family-friendly TV show and is very clearly enjoying it. It's one so, of the most surreal it, things I have ever is it seen. an exercise video or a music video? It's a music something? video, but he's reacting to it in a way that is very enthusiastic. Mm. And, right, like there's no one else in the room. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, so that was 1978. The actual... <laughs> how can you tell? Can, can I just ask? Because I didn't know that about how it was kind of cobbled together to sell Star Wars toys that they had lying around. I presume that they had a bunch of Golden Girls toys that like, they are like, while you're here, <laughs> you just, we have a few B. Arthur's kind of as well. This is like B. Arthur, Art Carney. There's yeah. a lot of weird guests yeah. there. But the, the weird thing about it is that it, it harks back to a style of television that doesn't exist anymore. So the variety show special. So like Adam West and Burt Ward did one in 1977, the celebration of the superheroes, I think it was called. Somebody clearly didn't watch Netflix's a Bill Murray Christmas. <laughs> or, or, or what was it? Michael... Um, the Michael Bolton's big sexy Valentine. Valentine's Day, yeah. yeah. At least yeah. that one was on purpose. <laughs> Fair point. Uh, but yeah, so the the idea was that you had like the the superhero power hour or whatever it was with um, Adam West earlier on as well. But watching it today, because you have no frame of reference for this, it's even more bizarre than it seems. You know, than it would have seemed at the time. I did, like. Sorry, did did Burt Ward masturbate? <laughs> <laughs> That's a fair point. That's a very fair point. But anyway, we're not here to talk about the Star Wars Holiday Special, as much as it may sound like we are. Uh, we're here to talk about The Empire Strikes Back, the 1980 sequel to Star Wars, uh, which is interesting for a number of reasons. Most obviously... 1980. 1980, yeah. It is not written and directed by George Lucas. Um, in fact, it was actually... The script was outsourced. It was originally supposed to be sure, written by... Obligatory Robocop reference. Like, yes. Almost straight out of the gate. <laughs> yeah. Irvin Kirshner directing a sequel to an iconic science fiction classic. Yes. Um, but yeah, so to get the script written, uh, first of all, Lucas 
Luke, and I kind of admire how candid Lucas is about this. He's like, the least enjoyable aspects of making Star Wars were writing and directing it. So I decided for the sequel, I wasn't going to do that. Which is kind of great. Was the money his favourite bit? <laughs> Toys. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about that in a moment. But the So, first draft of it was written by Lee Brackett, the science fiction writer. She passed away before she could finish it. Um, there is a script online, we'll include it in the show notes. But what's notable is that apparently Lucas, when he saw the drafts that Brackett had written, um, he writes notes for the he wrote notes for the first couple of pages. But apparently by the time he hit page 30, he was just writing no in gigantic letters uh, across the pages of the script. He brought in Lawrence Kasdan uh, then to fix up the script. Kasdan, who is notable for writing, he also wrote the recent Solo movie. Uh, but he also wrote The Force Awakens as well. So he's still very much a part of the Star Wars franchise. Lucas credits Kasdan with stuff like, say, Yoda, the way the Yoda speaks. Lucas has argued that Kasdan's dialogue for Yoda is much better than his own. Which is ironic when you go and look at the prequels, where, where Lucas is writing a lot more Yoda dialogue uh, for point of comparison. And yes, he didn't want to direct it, so he brought in Irvin Kirshner. Um, the two of them, I believe, had been... Of Robocop 2 fame. Of Robocop 2 fame, among many, many other things. Kirshner, I believe, was a professor at UCLA, I think. That's where they knew each other from. And basically, he respected Kirshner. He asked him to come in and do it. And Kirshner uh, obliged and was very interested in sort of doing it. He was kind of nervous about doing a sequel to Star Wars. Because one of the things about The Empire Strikes Back that doesn't really get discussed anymore, because we take it for granted is that by the time that The Empire Strikes Back was released, sequels were a very different beast. Um, we talked about it a little bit when we talked about The Exorcist, where the idea was that if you had a successful movie in the 70s, the idea was that you would create burn-off sequels, and you'd cut the budget on each, and you'd hope that you basically wrung as much money on the public as possible. Typically, che- sequels got cheaper and earned less box office. To pick an example, the... Well, we, we, we spoke about... Um, our... Yes, we did speak about, in the past tense, The Exorcist 2. Yeah. That was one of the most expensive movies, like, yeah. ever. At, yeah. the, at, at the time at, of release. At the time of release, yeah. And not by design, though, is the crucial no, part of No, that. the idea was, like, how did it get so far? <laughs> yeah, before, um, so, before somebody said no. It's like, um, let's make something cheaper than this relatively cheap runaway hit. Yeah. And somehow it becomes the most expensive movie Warner Brothers had produced to that moment in time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and something sort of similar happened here. But the idea was, let's say, to pick The Godfather, for example, right? The Godfather produced The Godfather Part Two. Godfather Part Two was actually a little bit more expensive than the original Godfather, but it earned a lot less money. The Godfather was, at time of release, the biggest movie of all time. It was also naturally the most successful movie of its year. But The Godfather Part Two was only the fifth biggest movie. Um, of its year of release um so like the idea was that sequels earned less by default the thing with the empire strikes back is that from the outset lucas decided that he wanted it to cost more and the idea was that it would also earn more money back on the back end originally it was budgeted for 18 did though right it did am i spoiling you are (laughs) spoilers the empire strikes back was not a box office bomb and not a forgotten classic by any measure of the world like the godfather part two (laughs) which has just been completely wiped away nobody talks about that disappointing sequels am i right am i right the funny thing was nobody actually saw star wars they just got the toys yeah (laughs) eventually because everyone had like six or seven children and it's like can i have six bob to go out to the cinema cinema i'll give you pictures um and 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 nobody this got to go of, this slice of life has been brought to you uh by the star wars holiday well, i think that's like a billy Connolly thing i was listening to pat mccabe talking about it. um he was just on the radio um actually this this will date the podcast if i say <laughs> what what was just on the radio he may have been on the radio a few months ago 
But uh, yeah, so basically the idea was that this would cost more. It was budgeted at $18 million, uh, which was near a 50% increase on the budget of the original Star Wars. By the time production was finished, it had run up to $33 million, making it one of the most expensive movies ever made to that point, and also costing three times as much as the original Star Wars, which is striking. Um, however, like we'll, we'll probably talk a bit more about the production later on, but do we remember the first time that we saw The Empire Strikes Back? Luke? Um... Yeah, I mean, I would have seen all three of them, I suppose, relatively in quick succession when I was a kid. Cause they uh, the re-release in the 90s, yeah. You know? So, and it's funny, I have never, for a variety of reasons, I've never really thought of myself as a Star Wars guy. I don't know if that's just a nerdy kind of branding too far, <laughs> or I've also, I've always had the name thing going on. You know? <laughs> well, that's I can't imagine what, what we're talking and, about. Uh, well... The thing is, I started getting that before I had ever seen Star Wars. So it was very bewildering. People would kind of come up to me and say that they were my father. And I didn't know what that meant. <laughs> it was very confusing. Uh, but, it, you know, it was annoying. And I remember in secondary school then, after I had seen him, there was one person distinctly who would say it to me every single time that they saw me. <laughs> and it got old very fast. I'd imagine so. The but, Sorry. But, but yeah, because of that, and then also I was kind of growing up in a time when maybe Star Wars was at a lower ebb in terms of popularity. So I never really thought of myself as... like 15 as, years since the Return of the Jedi. Yeah, and the prequels were kind of all dumped on and stuff yeah. like that. So I, I never thought of myself as a Star Wars, like, super fan. And then whenever I sit down and watch one, I'm like, oh, these are the best things ever. <laughs> <laughs> and I have lots of opinions on them, and I love them. But yeah, when I was a kid, it was like all, all kind of in a row. I would have watched them. Uh, when like they were for each of the releases and stuff like that. So yeah. you went to the cinema with, you know, to see each of them. I think it was actually VHS, oh, okay. the, the, the re-releases that, that I would have seen them. Okay. Well, I, yeah, I think I'm in the same. I, 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 I don't think I saw the re-releases. I, I think I saw old VHSs before the re-release. I, it, it was, I think I said this last year. It was my mother's friend's son had them. So I was over at um, my mother's friend's house with my brother. He had went off to university and there were these uh, VHSs in, in our house to that that we were able to entertain ourselves with. And yeah, I think we saw the three in, 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 in quick, quick succession, succession. Which is interesting. I actually went to cinema to see this. I think I talked last year we went to Star Wars where... I didn't go to the cinema to see the Star Wars re-release with my dad because, you know, I was like, that's embarrassing, nerdy, you know, uncool. And my little brother actually went with him to see Star Wars. But that's, that was your brand. <laughs> I, know, I know. I think this was my little act of like, you know, at that stage, what, 10-year-old Darren? How long did this last? This Apparently a year, given that I went to see The Empire Strikes Back the following year. Right. Um, so that I... was your rebellious phase. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, it feels appropriate if we're talking about Star Wars and the relationship between fathers and sons, right? Um, where I had, you know... scum. <laughs> <laughs> it was a very tense couple of years. But we reconciled by the end Darn, of Return of the Jedi. cool. That's not true. Yeah. <laughs> That's impossible. <laughs> My mother told me I was cool. <laughs> Why, Mom? Why? Why didn't you tell me I was not cool? But anyway. It's, it's funny because the only other Luke, I think, that I've ever known... Well, I met him in America and he was a Star Wars super fan. 
and he was also like um it was a good guy but he was he was very um he was a very evangelical christian in fact a free presbyterian everyone knows ian paisley right yeah but anyway they they, so they think of me and Paisley. They, <laughs> but they have american free presbyterians anyway um his name was luke he was a huge star wars fan um and he was a big fan of the only song he liked because he disapproved of music was um yoda by um, weird al yankovic weird al yankovic <laughs> and i said <laughs> Oh, that's 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 gas. Did you know that's based on a song? And then I told him about the song it was based on, and ruined the only song. Oh, because it's based that, on Lola. Yeah, and yes, Lola being about cross-dressing transvestitism. Exactly. So the only song he ever was able to enjoy, um, you was, ruined for was him. Was then ruined for yeah. him. Yeah, you killed his childhood. Yeah, you're like the George Lucas of his appreciation of music, basically. Exactly, but he, but he, he he was he was he was yeah huge about Star Wars. That was like one of the defining characteristics of him. <laughs> and you crushed that. But yeah, like that's the thing is that I my brother gone to see Star Wars with Dad said it was good. So the following year, I kind of mellowed a bit and I went to see The Empire Strikes Back. The Empire Strikes Back was actually my first Star Wars film, uh, which is kind of interesting because it's. I think it actually works relatively well as a first Star Wars film. I think it's only one of two Star Wars films that could work really as your first Star Wars film in terms of if you're watching it without any context for what Star Wars is. The original Star Wars works in that context and I think this works in that context. Sorry, the rest, four. Four, the new hope. Not one. Not one, to be absolutely... Really? I mean, imagine watching, the, imagine watching The Phantom Menace as your first Star Wars film and trying to make sense of it. Like, I don't hate... Because so many fan- people have done that. Yeah, it's very strange. Like, I don't... I have difficulty imagining your introduction to Star Wars. It being, also Jewel of the Fates. Yes, sequence. But it awesome. also opens yes. with a trade negotiation scene and lots and lots of we, casual racism. We recently saw... The um, first half hour yeah, of this. Yeah, yeah. It is bad. It's bad. It's very bad. Um, Ooh, it's very bad. To be clear, he's doing an impression. He's doing an impression of a character. To be absolutely clear, not doing a racial accent. To be absolutely clear, no, that's what they're doing. That's what they're. Yeah, (laughs) it is. It is very bad. I am. I am. I'm. I'm. I'm uh, insulated from any any criticism (laughs) because you're actually because of separation. Yeah, you're doing. You're doing a parody of a racist parody, (laughs) not a racist parody yourself. Um, But yeah, so like that's the thing. The Empire Strikes Back is probably one of only two movies I would argue that could reasonably be a, first, a person's first Star Wars film. like Because it's it's accessible. It spends a lot of, I would argue, a lot of its first half hour replaying the central conflict of the original Star Wars to bring you up to speed. Like, it, it reintroduces its characters and often has them go through exactly the same plot arcs that they went through in the original Star Wars in a compressed period of time so that you're all up to speed with. And it's it was interesting watching it as my first Star Wars movie. I don't think I even saw A New Hope until after I'd seen Return of the Jedi, which is kind of a very weird way to watch them. So the, the interesting thing about Empire is that that's still early enough in kind of Star Wars that it's still got a lot of that inspired by serials thing going on. So I can see how it would be a handy drop-in point because in serials, like, just the adventure is always on. Continuing, and yeah. It all, yeah, so it's kind of... The Empire is always... Evil! <laughs> on, the, on the back of the Rebels. and yeah. You know, it's kind of... Yeah, you can kind of start from there and go. Whereas the longer you go on, the blueprint for Star Wars is 
yeah. Star Wars. Yeah, that's it. Where you have things like The Last Jedi, like this is a commentary on Star yeah, Wars yeah. to a certain extent. No, it's, I think it's always in the DNA yeah. in interesting ways. But yeah, maybe more closer to the, to the forefront in, in Empire. Because the Empire really is, it kind of is structured very similarly to, to serials. Yeah, and I, I would argue that's, again, this this point nicely brings us on to three questions we asked before we jump into the spoiler zone. But yeah, that structure. Because obviously... Probably this, a fourth question too. When, when 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 we have a movie that's part of a series like this, yeah, it's a um, we're not even just asking. Does it belong on the two fifty? Does it belong on your two fifty? How does it place relative, <laughs> relative to, other, relative to the other Star Wars movies? <laughs> yeah, fine. And finally, would you recommend this movie? <laughs> I like that Andrew's shedding structure just as easily as like Empire Strikes Back is. Um, but yeah, to, to bring us neatly to that is the the question of whether neatly. or not whether or not this belongs on a list of the 250 greatest movies ever made. So, Luke, do you think that the Empire Strikes Back belongs on like a list of the best movies ever? B. Arthur's not in it though, so. <laughs> no, <laughs> there's not a sequence where a character drinks through their head. <laughs> uh, I, <laughs> a Julia Child parody with a four-armed alien. As you do, uh, I would probably say yes. I think this, apart from it being a very good movie, I think you look at how it has set the template and set the tone, as you say, for what blockbuster sequels are meant to be and how they're kind of meant to be made. Uh, even from that perspective, I would say, yeah, I, I think it deserves to be on a list of... Of, of the greatest movies ever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, that, that's the thing, is that there's this... Um, is it Matt Singer at, at Screen Rant uh, made an argument that, like, as much credit as Star Wars and Jaws get and deserve for, like, defining the modern blockbuster in terms of what we think of as modern tentpole movies, The Empire Strikes Back is just as influential in terms of defining modern franchises to a certain extent. Yeah, I mean, when you compare... Uh, Empire to Jaws two in particular, you see that you know that 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 method of of sequel making as as you talked about there it kind the of, cutting of the budget and the hoping to wring as much profit out of it as you can before throwing it away it went out of vogue now I don't know does Jaws two have a lower budget than Jaws one they do blow up a helicopter they, they had a different shark it, it does and well the the thing with Jaws is that like by the end of the series Jaws four earned less than a tenth of the box office of the original Jaws. Right, right. And again, same thing happens with the Planet of the Apes movies as well, where they start, like, you, they start shedding actors. So, like, in the first Planet of the Apes sequel, they get Charlton Heston for, like, the opening and closing scenes. Then he's gone. Then they have... They um, didn't do a Fast and the Furious, where Charlton where they Heston bulk comes up. back. <laughs> yeah, in... and in the, in the fifth one, or the fourth one. And then, like, you know, in the third one, they lose Kim Hunter. Uh, and then Roddy McDowell is in it until the bitter end, I'm afraid. But you can tell that, like, they've run out of budget for masks. So it's like Roddy McDowell and a bunch of pound shop masks. The fifth Planet of the Apes film was famously shot in Studio City, or Century City in Los Angeles, which is where the Fox headquarters are, because the budget would, would stretch just about far enough to shoot outside the kind of corporate headquarters, the company financing it, you know? Yeah, but see, I mean, those, like, Jaws and Star Wars are always kind of looped yeah. together uh, for changing blockbusters in that way. But if you kind of look properly at the, the timeline of these things, it's Jaws is 75, and yeah. Star Wars is 77, yeah, and then like Jaws 2 is 78, I think. Around the same time as Extras 2, The Heretic. Yes. Yeah, so you're seeing maybe, like, you know, I'm sure Lucas just wanted to make a dumb truck more money, but you can see lessons maybe being learned there in terms of 
how you follow up these kind of these big movies in the seventies, like because well, we're eating food, by the way. Yeah, we should we should be absolutely clear. We are eating food on this podcast. Well, I mean, like Lucas, apparently he had several ideas for what he wanted to do for a sequel. He had an idea for a low-budget sequel in case the movie didn't make its money back or in case it didn't become a runaway success. Like, his plan A uh, was actually the first entry entry in the Star Wars expanded universe. The tie-in novel, um, which was written by Alan Dean Foster, called Splinter of the Mind's Eye, in which Luke and Leia crash on a jungle planet and face off against Darth Vader in a race against time to find a mysterious gen called the Kyber Crystal. Um, but apparently, because the movie was so successful, Lucas took a gamble on it and said, I'm going to... I'm going to make this bigger and I'm going to hope that it becomes bigger as a and result. And also, I'm not going to. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to take my little skim off the top. There. Now, to be to be fair, it, it has, like, not to, to denigrate Lucas. Like, he is very much the driving force creatively behind the film, despite not writing it or directing it. They talk about, for example, the actors worked mostly with Kirshner, but the special effects people in Industrial Light and Magic uh, worked with Lucas primarily. Yeah. Uh, and there are, like, again, Kirshner has described working with Lucas as being like two, you know, two minds perfectly in sync. Himself and Lucas got on tremendously well while making it. There was only one disagreement over the course of filming. And that was the, and again, we're not in the spoiler zone yet, but it's the sequence which involves the line, I know, where Lucas wanted I know to be replaced with a much more traditional, um, I love you too line. Well, that's interesting because we'll get into why Lucas is completely wrong. <laughs> later <laughs> on. Later. Um, but yeah, apparently Kirshner actually fought for uh, I Know to the point where they held two tests. They were going to hold two test screenings with alternate line readings to see which one the audience reacted to. But apparently the first screening was the I Know screening. The audience reacted with such enthusiasm and vigor that Lucas was like, fine, you win. It's so in the movie. For anyone who, who's, who's, who's seen um, Star Wars A New Hope um and and who's listened to our podcast on it and are wondering kind of should they should they watch um, um empire strikes back um no because we we've we've already revealed somebody <laughs> says i know at some point in the movie all right and then andrew do you- star war is happening i know <laughs> <laughs> but andrew do you think this belongs on a list of the 250 greatest movies ever made um, I do. I, 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 I'm not, I'm not a, uh, I'm not a big Star Wars nut. Um, I think it, I think this has more, more of a right than, um, I'm not going to go knew, pro for him. I knew how. I'm, yeah, 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 yeah. I, 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 I wouldn't put on my own 250 either. Just to answer okay. all the questions. Okay. And would I recommend it? Yeah, I would. Um, <laughs> what about you, Darren? Would you recommend it? All right. I think that it belongs... Uh, this is interesting. I think that there's, you know, probably too, too many Star Wars movies on the 250. I can see an okay. argument for the original Star Wars being on there for legacy reasons, but I think that Empire Strikes Back is A, a much better made film. Yeah. Uh, is B, a better just film. Uh, and, and C is also just like as important as the original Star Wars. In fact, like when we think of modern franchise filmmaking, we think of things like the Marvel movies, for example. Um, the Empire Strikes Back is the first sequel I can think of that introduces the idea of a perpetual second act, where it deliberately ends with an inconclusive sort of like cliffhanger ending because it's designed to perpetuate the franchise. The original Star Wars, you know, obviously you have a framework that you can use to make a sequel. You can have more it's Rebels. It's very versus, much self-contained. But it's though. very self-contained. And, and, then, and, and like annoyingly so. <laughs> the, 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 it's, it's, it's one of the worst parts of, of the New Hope. 
is it, the actual ending where yeah, it's like, and now we're going to literally put a metal on it. Wrapping it up in yeah. a bow. Yeah, a we, bow or a yeah. Metal, yeah. We spoke when when we were talking about, um, uh, um, not Sanjuro, yeah. about how they do that um, at the end of Sanjuro, but then have... A little um, and, and another scene which 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 kind of like introduces the kind of um uh, or complicates chaos or yeah. complication yeah yeah mm. yeah makes it more um sophisticated yeah. where they have this kind of like star wars metal ceremony <laughs> um ending which is lame a little trite yeah <laughs> yeah yeah so the, 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 yeah it, it 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 i think it, it, it works better on that basis i think yeah. as well um i it's worth noting by the way that like the marvel movies are very explicit in like homaging the empire strikes back Every phase two Marvel movie features a dismemberment uh, in a shout out to the Empire Strikes Back. Every single one of them, from Meliketh losing a hand uh, in Thor The Dark World through to like the Winter Soldier's missing arm in Captain America, The Winter Soldier. Um, Every single phase two Marvel movie includes a shout out to the Empire Strikes Back, which is an illustration of just how much modern franchise filmmaking kind of owes. Who could forget Meliketh The Dark Elf? Played by Christopher Eccleston, yeah. And yeah. in Thor 2, the <laughs> Dark, Dark World. World, I think, yeah. I'm going to just check my notes Wait, and confirm there. Did he? <laughs> Call my bluff, Luke. Call my bluff. Um, and then Luke, because Andrew has already answered this, would this be on your own like top 250 movies ever? If you had a curated list of the best movies you've ever seen, would this be up there? I, I guess so. I mean, you, you, you always ask me this when I'm on. And, and somehow you're always unprepared. 250 is a big number. <laughs> I kind of don't know how I would. I never sat down and actually tried to put one together, but I guess it probably would have. Really Join us there. for next year's anniversary special. Um, That's when you when you finish up the, the list, you got to get all your guests on to like rattle off. Full 250. And then you got to cross compare. Like, well, on our episode, you said yeah. that you would. So where's, where's Empire now? I guess I would. We it's really a, good. We need an interactive uh, podcast if we're going to do that. Where, where it's like, um, you go forward to hear Luke talk about his uh, movie 175. Click yeah, the button yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. It's like a choose your own adventure. Yeah. Um, maybe not everybody wants to listen to it in the in, entire in, sentence. In the sequence. entire 250. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just read it off when I have to do it. I brought a notebook. Uh, we're very, very prepared on this. And then um, I would, uh, I would also. It probably make it would probably make my own two fifty. It would probably be the only Star Wars movie uh, to do that. Um, I think, to be honest, it is the best Star Wars movie. I think by a significant margin, I would contend. I'm curious but- whether, whether, like uh, next year, whether 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 I'll race um, Return of the Jedi above it. Okay. Well, this kind of brings us up to, to, to this question, the fourth question that Andrew has like <laughs> inserted into the pro forma structure and then also simultaneously disregarded. An but- agent of chaos. <laughs> <laughs> Introduce a little anarchy, Andrew. Um, sorry, that's a different podcast that we covered earlier this year. But Luke, um, it, how, do you, how do you rank this in terms of Star Wars movies? Like for you, is this the best Star Wars movie? See, this is the thing. If they're not right in front of me, I kind of don't think about them that much. And then usually if I watching them i'll do it in order so i'll watch star wars and i'll be like oh this is great this is so much fun and then i'll watch empire and i'll be like oh this is so much better and then i'll watch return of the jedi and i'm like this is amazing I, I you know it's like a buffet 
And then, of course, you go back up for your fourth. <laughs> the prequel. Like, yeah. Oh, I feel a bit sick. <laughs> a little gorge. I actually really like uh, Return of the Jedi a lot. I, okay, very, interesting. I very much enjoy that one. So well, on any given day, I might actually put that ahead of this ahead one. Ahead of this. Ooh. You know, Darren, my... my your hot, hot my my closely guarded secret about how much it, I like the Last Jedi. You had never never came up. <laughs> Don't think it ever came up. <laughs> you are neutral on it and get so much vilification. Yeah, <laughs> on both uh, sides. So I, I just hide behind you and say nothing and get away scot free. Really <laughs> loving it. I'm, I'm the stalking horse of Last Jedi fandom. It's like this guy. He doesn't even love it. Send him out there anyway. Um, he just thinks it's not awful. <laughs> that will be enough to draw a fire. I I'm wondering. I don't I don't know if 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 the two of you can comment on this, but I feel like this is like um, Empire Strikes Back is better than the movie that they released in the nineties. That was like a um, a, a remastering of, of Empire of, of Empire Strikes Back. May, okay. I don't think I'm being nostalgic. I'm looking at it and I'm seeing. That's different. Because that, I remember last year when when, when we did when, the original Star when watching Wars. Star Wars, I was like, "What the? <laughs> yeah, is there were moments when we were sitting down watching it, and Andrew would literally say out loud, "What the hell is that?" Except I wouldn't say hell. <laughs> um, yeah, no, he didn't say hell. <laughs> no, 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 because I I don't believe I, I hell hell is a, a swear word. Hell is just other people. Heck, yeah, what the heck, heck is that? Yeah, yeah. Um, um, but so, actually, this is interesting because, like the the Empire Strikes Back, is the least remastered of the original trilogy. I might ask on the other, I might ask on on the other, other side, side what exactly what, was what changed because I saw bits and I was like, "What's no? What's that doing there? Yeah, what is the reason for that? That's uh, that's wrong. We're that not, that wasn't in the the. I the, love I love that Andrew Andrew on this podcast has come out very strongly against like obsessive Star Wars fans, and he's like, "Yeah, but they also changed that movie that I loved." See, oh, very is, simple things. Like. You now have to ask Darren where we would rank the original remastered version. I think we're okay. And then finally, because Andrew has answered this question already, Luke, would you recommend, if listeners have not already seen The Empire Strikes Back, should they pause the podcast, run out, watch it, come back and listen to the rest of this question? And if they've seen it already, yeah. should they rewatch it? Should they rewatch it? Is it rewatchable? It's rewatchable. I think it's endlessly rewatchable. Yeah. I actually, um, I try not to be like that person that's like, you've never seen Star Wars. You have to watch, you know? <laughs> oh, but everybody loves that person. <laughs> <laughs> that person's great. <laughs> I have actually had people that have said that they've never watched them. And it's like, you're fine. I think you're fine. Yeah. If, you, if, if you've not watched it by the time that you're an adult, I think you're not yeah. a Star Wars person. So yeah. I think you're okay. Well, we talked about this in the podcast before. And again, this we is had the one thing of where... our Star Wars experts <laughs> who, 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 who had only seen it as an adult. Yeah. Um, but we t- yeah we talked about this in the podcast before where yes the Star Wars movies are children's films and there's nothing wrong with that but they are movies that I think make an impression on you when you see them as a child I think no but uh, even as an adult I think you'll <laughs> either come to them or you won't yeah. I think I I'm not into the idea of because Star Wars is so pervasive and so yeah. such a massive thing or having an obligation to see I it. wouldn't recommend the people who haven't seen it. Go see it because they probably don't want to. Yeah, you probably made a choice to a certain extent, given how ubiquitous it is. Yeah, yeah. All right then. It's a Christmas special. <laughs> really, <laughs> yeah, really, well. Luke. That's that's what you're going for here. What's uh, the name of the uh, Golden Girl getting from? Getting a Wookie Wookie uh, Wild. Sorry. Uh, from Stopper, my mom will shoot. There's a there's a Golden Girl in that, isn't there? 
Isn't that the little, the oldest one? Yes. Yeah. 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 Betty White. No, no. Because no. in Golden Girls, there's the Darren the, is trying. Darren, the, Darren has started doing this. He 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 started going kind of um, discreetly <laughs> to the fact machine as if that isn't a sacred segment <laughs> of, of our podcast. So he, you see, he, him, he, you see him looking at his knees like nobody will know what I'm doing. So B um, Arthur, who's the one in the holiday special, her ma. Like is is another character in the sitcom, and I think that she's the one that's in. And we're back from the uh, fact machine. Uh, Estelle Getty, maybe is the Estelle person? Getty. Yes, Estelle Getty. yeah. Never yeah. tell me the facts. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Luke. I like uh, that you're tired of people quoting Star Wars lines at you, Just not but that it's not one. Yeah, it's not that one. Um, all right, then. Uh, we'll <laughs> join us on the other side of the spoiler zone. So, Luke, what is The Empire Strikes Back about for you? Uh, it's a dark time for the Rebels. The Rebels are on... I don't remember what they're called. <laughs> That's what it's about. Ice Planet or Hoth. Yeah, yeah. There's, Some like it Hoth. There's, there's Rebels, there's an Empire, they're coming after them, you know. Vader has sent his satellites to... to, to his- uh, Probe droids, thank it's you very much, Andrew. Very yeah. noisy secret probe droids. <laughs> yeah. Very subtle, completely unnoticeable. Yeah, very, like, built for stealth, apparently. Honestly, though, Empire Strikes Back is about how your parents will let you down and how you gotta strike out on your own and, and figure your own... Out, you know? Because no one's gonna do it for you. Yeah. Finding secondary fighters as well. Yeah, this is, this is one of the things that I, again really like one of the arguments that I've read Cambellian about thing. Cambellian even well no this, this is the thing where it is Chuck Klosterman uh, who's written like a whole bunch of essays and again we'll include links in the show notes to them I really like his analysis of The Empire Strikes Back where he argues that The Empire Strikes Back is arguably the first Generation X movie and in fact people watching it who were Generation X wouldn't realise how much it was a Generation X movie until about a decade later when they hit their 20s in the, in the 90s because it's basically, right, if you think about it, it is the... St- what? Andrew's like... <laughs> Darren loves this. Um, <laughs> if you have to say, basically, when you think about it. So, yeah, okay. The idea is, you got this guy. You got Luke. He's, you know, he's a kid. New generation. Pretty good kid. <laughs> <laughs> then one day, he has a crisis of confidence. But no, he's, he's a pretty good kid. He's, you know, he's, he's going to be a hero he's of a the Alliance. Jerk. Oh, he's oh. a little twerp. That's one he of my favorite things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, basically, he's he's kind of he's out striking. He is trying to strike out on his own. He's going off. He's taken. He's gone to college, but he's not going to college to learn anything particularly useful. What he's doing is he's taking a major in Buddhism and a minor in physical education. He's gone off. He's dropped out midway through the semester in order to go off and have a conversation with his dad. His dad's like, "Son, what you're doing here? It's not really cool. It doesn't really have a future in it." His dad is like, "Son." I want you to join me. We're going to go into the family business. You can get in. It's going to be, you're going to be loaded. You'll be like king of the universe. Come on, get on board. 
drop your kind of namsy pamsy hippie nonsense. We'll, you know, we'll kill my boss. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll fire the, the guy who's currently running the place. We'll take it over. It'll be a family business. We'll get oh, you fitted for a, a suit. A, a, a 1980s, um, uh, uh, this, this is the time at, of uh, barbarians at the gates and uh, the hostile takeover. Yeah. The, the, um, what's that book about? It's about Nabisco. But and and of course, like Wall Street, the movie is all about kind of like these uh, mergers and acquisitions. Yeah, and well, evil I mean, evil is good. Evil is good, <laughs> for lack of a better word, Luke. Um, but like that's so. That. so, so but so, anyway, Customer's argument is back to talking about <laughs> Customer's argument is that Luke is a quintessential Generation X protagonist because Luke decides when confronted with this, confronted with the idea of conforming to his parents' expectations of him. Of, like, getting a job, of becoming a responsible adult. He decides he's not going to have any of that. He opts out. He turns off, he tunes out, and he drops, he literally drops out. Um, He, rather than accepting or confronting the reality facing him, he throws himself to his death. He doesn't do anything of any value whatsoever. It's pointed, as Yoda points out, when Luke goes to Bespin, he'll undermine absolutely everything that his friends have been fighting for. But he does it anyway because it's a principled stance. And Klosterman's argument is that this speaks to what is largely seen as Generation X, this idea of, like, a lost and kind of wayward generation that arguably had very minimal effect in terms of defining American culture. Klosterman's argument is that, like, Generation X is the rare generation where everything the media said about them was true. You know, they well, was, did... Was Generation X our last hope? But they did... I, um, I, is, is that too... Um, scouts? No, I don't think it works. I think... I think... <laughs> But like the argument no, is, there is another. <laughs> okay, that 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 that's that's out <laughs> that's, there. I think that's, 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 a, that's a good idea. Um, <laughs> no, another there is. That's better. Um, okay. right. Still a bit Miss Piggy. Um, okay, but, well, same person. Yeah. <laughs> apparently, when they were filming, um, apparently Hamill had a really bad time of filming it because they hadn't figured out Jim Henson puppet. That's it with the with the um, with the Yoda because they hadn't yet figured out what Yoda's voice was going to be. They hadn't figured out a lot of the content of the scenes, mm. even as. As, as Hamill was filming them uh, and apparently like he'd be running around listening to the Rolling Stones because they hadn't figured out what Yoda was going to say in any of the sequences but apparently one of the days to liven him up instead of Yoda coming out they sent out Miss Piggy uh, and apparently <laughs> Hamill that was the moment where Hamill was like okay fine I'm on board you guys have me um, but the, the, <laughs> the idea is that you know Klosterman argues that like Generation X, everything that was said about Generation X is true. They did opt out of society because they were tired of its materialist values and didn't want to buy into the system. <laughs> yeah, but can, also because they were incredibly lazy. I can imagine her like, oh, Kermit, <laughs> I'm sorry, but size matters not. <laughs> <laughs> I, be- I believe her exact line was, I've been booked in some dive... I'm not going to do the voice. I've been booked in some dive places, but this is the worst forever. Um, but yeah, apparently uh, apparently that was quite a lively day. But anyway... Met ar- him in the swamp down in Dagobah. But the uh, argument... I would argue... That you would argue. I would argue that Empire is one of the first blockbusters of the 80s. And like the original Star Wars we talked about last year 
is very much about kind of it's a 70s film it's about coming to terms with the legacy of vietnam of the betrayal of like your you know world war ii the greatest generation parents who fought a battle against good and evil but who then transformed you know into these imperial forces themselves sending soldiers overseas to die in korea and vietnam and wanted to kind of opt out of that and want to like hold them to account and challenge them to build a better world empire offers a progression of that. And it's kind of interesting when we talk about Return of the Jedi, because Return of the Jedi regresses right back by giving you the cutest Viet Cong ever in cinema, I would argue, with the Ewoks. Um, But Empire is very much about 80s anxieties. It's that stuff that we talked about Generation X a moment ago. But it's also even No, no, no slice on the, the, the real Viet Cong. We're not saying they're not cute. <laughs> and cuddly. Um, yeah. But yeah, but I mean, like, Return of the Jedi obviously takes you back to its, its, you know, forest warfare as opposed to jungle warfare. But this idea of, like, a big mechanical overwhelming force that is tactically, logistically, and technically superior, but being defeated by a force that is, you know, more guerrilla style, more prone to improvisation, and, you know, seen as being, you know, primitive or backwards in inverted commas by the invading force. So, I mean, it is very much a Vietnam allegory. And and it's arguably a step backwards because for me, watching Empire Strikes Back, and I've watched a couple of times the past couple of weeks, Empire Strikes Back is a very 80s movie. Right down to little details like, for example, they redesigned Darth Vader's costume uh, between films very subtly, but to make it shinier and sleeker. The Imperial sets uh, on the Death Star in the original film... They're kind of grimy and dirty. They're part of that used future aesthetic. You know, they are cleaner than the rebel bases, but even then you have scenes like the garbage compactor scene. Yeah, yeah, where it's kind of gritty and grimy. Whereas in Empire, the Empire is itself much shinier, much sleeker. There's a lot more glass. There's a lot more gray. The surfaces are much more reflective, for example. And it's much more of an organization. They're spending all their money on the Death Star. Yeah, this is what happens when you have a Death Star economy and you certainly have like a massive influx of cash. But it's like, like the, it's like the the children's hospital. <laughs> and, uh, for any of our Irish listeners, yeah, yeah, they got the contractors in, and they had like they obviously had lowballed, and the just costs exploded, and yeah. <laughs> Before you know it, you've got a Death Star. But even things like say the presentation of the Empire between the two films, which changes dramatically. So in the original film. The primary representative of the Empire is Grand Moff Tarkin, who is Peter Cushion, who is probably best known for, like, playing Hammer Horror villains, and is very much like your British theatrical stage villain. He blows up a planet to make a point. Like, that's what the Empire is in the first one. Whereas in The Empire Strikes Back, the Empire has been, like, subtly reworked so that it's Darth Vader and a bunch of British character actors playing middle management. Much is made of how incompetent his underlings are, but also how much they want to kind of like deflect blame and sort of want to like protect other workers and they're part of a larger organization. So, I mean, I think it's to a certain extent, it's a case of seeing more of the Empire and that kind of comes out. You know, I think there's kind of interesting similarities between how they're presented in this and the aesthetic and the presentation of THX. Yeah. THX is very kind of cold and sterile and lots of whites and, and yeah. kind of blank rooms and also kind of oppression through middle management. Yeah. Uh, which is kind of interesting. And that's what the Empire becomes here. And I mean, yeah. even even the black and whites and greys. So you have the black of Darth Vader. But sorry, is sorry what's THX? THX is Lucas's first film. Um, and it's actually phonetically designed to sound like sex, sex, because uh, it's about a society where sex has been outlawed, if I remember correctly. Yeah, but that's an un- 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 it's a hard thing to say. So I just <laughs> <laughs> THX. Well, no, um, yes. And 
is arguably the beginning of Lucas's complicated relationship with sex, which we're probably going to come back to. It's a really interesting movie, though. It's it's worth watching. Um, But yeah, it is like, in Empire, the Empire is very much, it's an organization. It's a structure. You have these British character actors who are constantly showing up and being like, well, I I messed up that one. I hope my performance review is going to be very tough this year. They're very like the lads on The Apprentice. (laughs) (laughs) Because they will stab each other in the back and kind of throw each other under the bus at the first opportunity. Yeah, well, it's me. Is it Captain Nida who's like, I should accept full responsibility for losing them. And you can tell his underling is like, whew, <laughs> I really didn't want that to be me. I love, like, the first, it's Admiral whatever is the first guy that Yeah, Piper when he drops off. out of hyperspace he's, early. He's there on the um, video ring. screen yeah. and he's getting choked to death. And it's Nida is just kind of, glancing because <laughs> it's just it's a kind of an awkward thing because video calls are awkward at the best of times yeah. and then <laughs> when, your, when your, your boss, boss is being, being murdered next to you and he's just kind of looking uncomfortably um, well that's Admiral Pyatt I think actually and Pyatt's yeah. interesting because Pyatt, Pyatt well, I can never tell I know they're, they're, they're all interchangeable yeah. well yeah yeah. this, this is Star Wars where everybody has a name There's yeah, space but it's not important and a backstory um <laughs> <laughs> The Darth Vader is a very bad uh, boss, a very bad manager, because like the, the um, what's his name coming to him and um, Nida, Nida, and accepting responsibility. And, and accepting responsibility. What he's done there by punishing him is made it so that if anybody does anything wrong, they will just prevent him from finding out. Yes, yeah. and that will just and lead to it's bad management. Make things worse. Yeah. Yeah. And Problems will fester. There'll there'll be there'll be like a a a um a vulnerability to the next Death Star that nobody will point out. Yeah, because they're afraid to point it out in meetings. Yeah. yeah. Um, because it's like nobody wants to be the guy who gets choked out. It's um, like there is a problem with the Death Star. It's choked out. It's like he <laughs> didn't tell us what it was. Yeah. <laughs> um, does anybody stop else choking people? Yeah, does anybody else have any problems with the Death Star design? I yeah. thought not. Because um, I, 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 this makes me think of of so, something that I think about throughout the Star Wars movies are how important really are the central characters to the uh plot yeah there 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 are two there are two kinds of plots to a star wars movie there's the kind of galactic plot where the uh rebellion and the empire or whatever you're calling it is it the first first order, order and the resistance, resistance in, the, in the sequel yeah. trilogy for example yeah exactly and um but then there's also this kind of um uh family sort of um psychodrama uh, yeah 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 with 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 Luke and and Darth Vader, or or with um, Kylo Ren and uh, his um, his dad and uh, Han Solo, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, or whoever it is, and I wonder sometimes how important are these uh, people? And th- 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 this movie kind of suggests certainly that the likes of Luke and Han Solo aren't um, that important because yeah. they're like you have like Echo Tree to Echo Seven and. Like they're 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 on the this kind of you know they're they're out in the snow looking for um uh probes and stuff yeah. and as opposed to being like the leaders of it or the general yeah. general solo as he becomes also, in Return of the Jedi. He's this preternaturally gifted um uh, Jedi, the force is strong with him, but he doesn't uh, notice that a wampa is just <laughs> snuck up behind him. I love that the wampa, when it knocks him down, doesn't take like the gigantic kind of horse creature 
that he's been sort of walking with, which it looks like it has a lot more meat on it, but admittedly it does smell bad on the outside. I think and it's the, like I want that some of that sweet, sweet Luke meat. I think I, I think I think that's racist, Darren. I I I I I think I think the <laughs> wampas are intelligent enough to know that they'll get more of 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 a ransom for <laughs> um uh, for 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 the for, Getty for kidnapping, Luke. suggesting that he's going to eat Luke. I think is. <laughs> Is yeah, you're you're, you're you know you you're, know by, you're out of order. Then. You know, by the way, the the uh, dismemberment of the Wampa was apparently the one part of Empire. Well, okay, before we get to the remastering, the one part of Empire that Luke, uh, sorry, that uh, Mark Hamill disagreed with, because he believed that Luke would never, never dismember a poor creature like a wampa he would never chop off his arm even in a situation like that which is he kind used of to spend his dirtbag childhood shooting womp rats i mean wampa womp rat they're not the same thing basically yeah again that's a sense of mark hamill having a very idealist idealized version of of luke i think dismember that wampa dismember 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 that wampa i think with star wars one of the kind of keys to its success is that it's kind of always combined character stuff and kind of fun characters with your kind of the spectacle of the the war stuff and they can you know either both will appeal to you or you'll kind of prefer one to the other i tend to tune out during the war stuff in star wars a bit and the and the battle kind of stuff and i tend to actually like the character stuff i think the character stuff is here is done pretty pretty well like and i kind of i think it's a very character based story if you're kind of looking for it yeah well i mean i mean it's worth mentioning we alluded to this early on like this is the star wars film that is probably closest in structure to the serials that george lucas was doing there's a lot of and then this happens plotting going on there particularly with like say the millennium falcon plot where it's like first they're trying to escape hoth then they're you know in an asteroid field then they're inside a monster inside an asteroid field then they're hanging out on the side of a star destroyer then they're at bespin and stuff like that and that seems to exist primarily so you can cross-cut that with luke's training on dagobah but it's kind of interesting because it's all so episodic like you could cut entire segments of the money and falcon plot and the flow of the story would move the same way if that makes sense but even things like the way in which the film is structured so it opens with the big battle on hoth like this is arguably is this this is probably the only Star Wars film that doesn't have a huge war in inverted commas scene at the climax uh, because it opens with one. The Hoth sequence is the big spectacle sequence that opens the movie. And then the movie kind of gets smaller and smaller and smaller till it becomes just Luke and Darth Vader, like basically Vader chasing Luke around the bowels of Bespin and Luke barely escaping with his life, you know? And it's an interesting kind of structure in terms of blockbuster storytelling because we look at things like the later Star Wars movies, like say Rogue One, which famously had its third act entirely rewritten so it would become a war movie. So you would have that like conventional Star Wars space battle happening in orbit. And it's kind of, it's strange that like, despite the fact the Empire Strikes Back has become such a touchstone, that like very few of the films that inspire by it or take cues from it have learned that it can be effective for being quiet, that you don't need an apocalyptic third act in the style of, say, Star Trek Into Darkness or or The Avengers in order to sell an emotional connection. You can start big and then go small, and it will be just as effective for that. Because I think The Empire Strikes Back, like its story is kind of winding and meandering, and it, it doesn't necessarily have a clear narrative through line. The- the but way- I think that it works thematically, and I think it works in terms of character. Sorry, Andrew. The, yeah, the, the the weird thing is that kind of um, 
the rebellion have escaped and Darth Vader is pursuing um, uh, Luke and uh, Han Solo. Yeah. And <laughs> it's kind of like the, the entire... Empire um, apparatus uh, is sort of devoted. Well, it, yeah. it's clear from the opening scroll that like Vader is looking for Luke Skywalker. He's not looking for the rebellion. And in fact, like there's there's this implication that how like, can he justify that? Like, like, <laughs> like this, 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 he, ha- this, he has to report to his boss. No, yeah. but like he he only kind of thinks he's in charge. It it it, yeah. it it's almost as if there's like it's a, like a constitutional monarchy where 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 the the. Uh, the 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 king kind of like is the is 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 the uh, the emperor in this case is the head of state yeah. and the emperor has his 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 lords yeah um like like, like lord uh, vader like vader but there but there is a bureaucracy that 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 is in charge and that functions and it is probably kind of um inter just interfered with by the 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 monarchy yeah. you would you would imagine that the emperor um, is going to kind of gradually lose um, unlimited power. <laughs> exactly. It's okay. very good, Dan. I've been working on that. When the emperor was wearing his darkest robe, he was actually subtly throwing shade at Darth Ooh. Vader. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean, th- that's that's the thing is that like it is it is intimate. It's very much like Vader is just. It's almost Vader's day off to a certain extent, where you imagine, you know, the Emperor is kind of on board with finding Skywalker because he's a powerful Jedi, but you have to imagine that somebody in the Imperial food chain is like, this is a real waste of resources. We lost how many Star Destroyers in that asteroid field? And that that's what I like, because... So many. Like, a sequel, as a sequel, it does go bigger in a lot of ways, and it, it costs more and all that, but in terms of the actual story, there you can see... a. To a more talented screenwriter maybe has yeah. sat down and gone how can I challenge these characters and what can I yeah. get them to do Because if you look that's at the... different and you have for example Luke who spent the whole first movie <clears throat> wanting to join up with the war effort and wanting to save the day and wanting to do right by his father figure decide very early on here that that's actually not fulfilled him and that he, he needs to do something more personal and for himself and that's kind of the the journey that he goes on. You've got, you know, Han and Leia kind of forced into this, um, forced into close quarters together, and and kind of go along their own journey. You've got Darth Vader, who in the first movie is just the muscle, really, an external, yeah, like a threat, and kind of something that we that looms over over the characters and that. And like at the time, people were all like scared of Darth Vader and stuff like that. Like kids, like yeah. we, we, you know, he was kind of a boogeymanish kind of figure yeah. in the first one. Here you see, you know, he was like, Tarkin's Tarkin's right hand man, basically. It was how the he was way, framed. The way he goes hand. careening off, like in, in, <laughs> in his face so, at the end, uh, cartoonish and ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. It's like something that would happen to Dick Dastardly at the end <laughs> yeah. of. But so in in Empire, you see Darth Vader making more personal choices, and yeah. you see him more as an actual person, which is what I love because Darth Vader is a very entertaining. <laughs> character to watch he's so catty and weird <laughs> the, you should put it in your show notes there was a thing that went out yesterday on um i, th- I don't know if it was mike ryan um but it was on um box or, or one of those sites 
and it was about when <laughs> Darth Vader is in that uh, dining room yeah. on on, on, on Bad Spin. City. Yeah. And there's a whole bit of like, why did Darth Vader want to do it like that? Like, why did he want to lure them into <laughs> a dining room a with a banquet table? But they're probably why, not going like, to. Why is he sitting down? <laughs> <laughs> he must have had to like workshop that line that he throws out, and the way that like Boba Fett kind of awkwardly comes in like on cue. Yeah. Oh, uh, I think I mean, he's a natural things, improviser. Yeah. And even things immediate... like apology accepted, Captain Yeah, Nemo. I, I uh, love all that about, like Darth Vader to me is so funny. A prima so donna. Pro- like his immediate kind of, what he, what he wanted to say was, Han, you've ruined everything. I've prepared this dinner. <laughs> um, but, but, but instead he was like, no, no, no. Or, yeah, yeah, sorry. <laughs> well, no, he, he is. And again, like this is the thing where you, you see this weird kind of backlash among Star Wars fans to say the characterization of Anakin in the prequels or the characterization of Kylo Ren in the sequels where they're like, he's not a real badass because yeah. he's insecure and he's kind of vain and he's kind of needy and childish. I, and Darth Vader, when you watch the movies, is just as temperamental well, and childish. And That's another thing that, I, not to get too much into the sequels, yeah. but one of the things I love about Kylo Ren is how he's, trying to be like Darth Vader and yes. failing. Yeah. And like Darth Vader is yes. a sarky <laughs> <laughs> That's a very good emperor there, Andrew. <laughs> Darth Vader and is they flow through you. <laughs> he, he's a catty guy. Yeah. Like he, he's kind of sarcastic and and he's got a dark sense of humor. And when Kylo Ren tries to replicate that, it's much more twerpish and kind of like, well screw you kind of <laughs> yeah. comes across that way. But um I know at the time with Empire, there was kind of people didn't like the way that kind of the story went, similar to redacted Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. But I well, appreciate I mean, like, that it has characters that have arrived at a certain point at the end of one film and challenged them in yeah. kind of interesting, interesting ways. Because it's interesting, you noted like, again, the budget increases, but it's a much more intimate story. The way the budget is spent is fascinating here because you get shots that are completely unnecessary. I think it was Kurtz was the producer, apparently couldn't say no to Kasdan, whenever, so not to Kasdan, to uh, Kirsch. Kirshner, uh, when Kirshner had an idea. So things like, for example, the sequence when Luke is rescued from the snow on Hoth, you get like this, you know, two second scene of him floating in a gigantic tank before he's taken out. And then there's an actual scene happening. And that's kind of like a wonderful example of like spending the budget in the film. You have things like Bespin, for example, which is luxury and kind of decadent and much larger than it really needs to be in terms of story because Sorry, you have the budget. That's one thing that I wanted to bring up. The um, Bespin is just a a, a kind of a, a a dish kind of or like a, a, a like a what 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 would you call it? It's like a a. Um, like one of those uh, uh, bowls in 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 curling. What's the thing at the end of Goldeneye? That's what I always think Vespin is like. Yeah, oh, like, like, like dish. a like a big like the big dish yeah. thingy. But then, um, and I feel like this was in the remastering. Then you see it's a whole load of buildings, but it's not because we've seen <laughs> we've seen that it's just this big uh, bowl dish. from the outside. Yeah, that is just a big bowl. I think the I think the top of it is now. I do think that was an addition. One of the few additions that were made to remaster it were the Bespin arrival was changed to be dusk. 
which I actually quite like. Um, yeah, but yeah, they they, they they make it this big kind of city with a whole load of kind of um, like a whole lot of prequel. Um, uh, <laughs> noise. Looking, uh, like, yeah, yeah. Noise, yeah. visual noise, basically. Which doesn't work because the whole thing is that like Lando is this like old smuggler that has kind of eked out his corner of the universe yeah and they're kind of it's like a small it's it shouldn't shouldn't it be like a smaller community that are doing a particular kind of job and he's trying to get by like that making it into a big grand super space city doesn't really fit with what the story is actually telling you yeah like 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 that that he's kind of like oh well like um i've 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 made a little something of this um kind of uh, it's called new york in space yeah yeah (laughs) like it's you know make it a bowl bring it back to the bowl let's let's talk a little bit about lando then because lando is one of the more fascinating characters i think in the empire more fascinating than wedge antilles (laughs) yes much much more fascinating or is it dex the guy who drives the sand uh, the sand speeder at the start well we we we, we'll have to find out some of the names of the characters sorry sorry um, but anyway lando lando right which is fascinating because he was apparently in the original uh lee bracket uh treatment lando was going to be a clone who had survived the clone wars and he was going to have set up bespin as a kind of a clone city basically a city full of people who looked exactly like him which was the original proposal for that but they didn't go that direction Apparently, Lucas actually, and this is interesting because people complain about, you know, modern culture being very, you know, PC and inverted commas and like the reaction and pushback that things get in terms of like representation. Lucas had actually looked at criticism of the original Star Wars and seen criticism that Star Wars was a very white film and decided that the way to remedy that would be to make Lando Calrissian black. Um, And it was actually a conscious choice uh, from the outset. And so you have the original idea, and I'm kind of glad they vetoed this, but the original idea for Cloud City from Lucas, outside of the exploitation, you're you're pretty close to the money, was going to be, it was going to be a city that was literally half black and half white. Um, Like Lucas originally wanted the city to be like every second person would be black there so that, you know, you would counterbalance this perceived criticism of the original film by having many, many more African American people. This is such a fascinating guy with stuff like that because it's like he's so close. <laughs> <laughs> but like uh, his, like his Star Wars buy-off money, okay. he's spent a lot of that on like educational programs yeah. for for um, people of color. And in, 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 Red in, Tails was one of his passion projects, which is about the was it the the African American Airmen, right? Which is terrible. Oh, it's, it's terrible, like, but it's more intention. He's, he's so close yeah. <laughs> to. And like I say, he he has really, credit he built, to him. Spent a lot of that money on, on on establishing these programs and stuff. He built a city in the sky for black people. <laughs> yeah, um, only fifty percent. <laughs> only fifty percent. Yeah. But um, but but again, I'm my way at last. And he, the irony is that like Billy, was a good idea. Billy D. Williams was drawn to the role because he didn't know that it was written specifically to be black. He was like, I love this colorblind role. Um, this is fantastic. I would absolutely love to play so that's, this. That's the late 70s, early 80s all over. It's yeah. like, oh, I can't believe it. An opportunity to me have value. Well, actually, you're just here because <laughs> we feel bad and we're going to screw you over anyway. Carl Witter said no. <laughs> that would be a very different film. I wonder if Carl Weathers could pull off a cape as well. Um, I mean, there's the famous, um, have you seen the Donald Glover Saturday Night Live, uh, All the Black People in Space? Uh, sketch from Saturday, which oh. is yeah which is definitely something i think it's him and a background extra from yeah, see, that's that's it's it's interesting to me that you say that lucas wanted more diversity in the film that's why he did he the had, prequels like, then he had a kind of 
a kind of an idea, but it would have been poorly applied, which is if the city was 50-50 like that. And then they, they arrived with, well, we'll add more diversity by having one, <laughs> one black guy. And then, yeah, in the prequels, well, well, we'll add more diversity by being racist against everybody. Yeah, it's but the most diverse they'll all be aliens, so they'll be covered, and we'll have no black people in the main cast. So well, could well, you Mace, uh, Mace Window. Do, no, yes, he's, the, does, oh, does he, he appear in, in yeah. Phantom Menace? Yes, yes, he does. Doing he appears nothing. in all three. Uh, and has a purple lightsaber with and B-A-M-F. BAMF. As I recall, Natalie Portman's guard was, was a person yes, as Hugo, well. Um, yes, Hugo, yes. Hugh Quarcy, I think it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and it's, it's like Billy Dee Williams has been tremendously uh, possessive of the character of Lando. He's played him in everything from like the Lego movie, to, to pick an example as well, but all the but video games. He's, he... been, he's been possessive of the character, has he? That's why he wants to do the Lego movie. I think that's being possessive of his royalty check time. <laughs> <laughs> all right then. That Two-Face money didn't come through, unfortunately, in the end. No. Um, it's also a couple of interesting notes about it. Um, Lando, how Lando pronounces, pronounces Han. He pronounces Han as Han rather than Han. Uh, which is how a lot of the characters in it, as in Hans, but dropping the S as opposed to Han, which is how a lot of the other characters pronounce it. And what's interesting is you note, notice as Billy D. Williams shares scenes with other actors, they start saying Han as well. And I, that's I think I've always gone back and forth. I think, yeah. you know. <laughs> but yeah, but that, that it's kind of interesting that like Lando is the character who introduces that lingual drift into into the Star Wars universe, and it's kind of like Billy D. Williams refuses to say it like Han and so says Han and all the other actors kind of like weirdly end up kind of improvising around that or See, picking in it up space as... he's the racist <laughs> <laughs> um, and Harris, Harrison Ford is like okay Lando <laughs> <laughs> apparently Lando was originally considered for the DJ role in Last Jedi which would have set the internet on fire I Sorry, think. DJ? DJ the um, Benicio, del Del, Benicio Del Toro role okay can you imagine if that but had been see, a now, beloved character? That's interesting because what I wanted to say about Lando is how interesting he is thematically yes. in the story, uh, especially as a contrast to Han. Han. <laughs> Whatever. Because, Mr. Solo. Because the whole thing of, of, of Han Solo in this movie is that he starts out as self-interested and you know he, it's like, oh, he's a scoundrel and, and all this kind of thing. That that's that's how, like he's like, well, I have to go to because there's a bounty on my head and, and all this stuff. This is the thing where it replays the end of Star Wars. So the end of Star Wars is like, I have to go, I gotta go, I gotta pay off New my debts. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah. You, you paid me to do the job that I did. I'm gonna go off and do it, you and somehow I'm the jerk. Yeah. But, yeah, but but at the end, he comes back and saves Luke. But at at the start of Empire, you replay that where Han is like. I really got to go. I got to get gone. And if he had like disappeared or left when he wanted to, he would be out of the problems that follow in the rest of the movie. But he stays twice. He and stays. That's, that's yeah. the thing. And like Leia's frustration with Han Solo is not that because it's people think of it as oh she he's a scoundrel blah blah blah. Yeah. But her frustration with him is that he is a leader and that he's valuable to what they're doing and all this. Yeah. Uh, and he won't accept that. Yeah. He won't accept the responsibility of that, and so he uses these kind of easy outs, and kind of he will think of him, he thinks he think Han Solo thinks of himself as a scoundrel, and kind of uses that as an easy out. Yeah, but in actuality, you see that he makes these choices that are good for other people. Yeah. Then, when you introduce Lando into the film, Lando is an old friend of Han's. 
It's like, oh, he's a scoundrel, you'd like him. So they're 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 creating an equation, yeah. Uh, and yet Lando makes a decision that betrays them, and you see the actual ruinousness of that that behavior. Yeah. And you see that despite how Han Solo might be labeled, he's actually not like that because he wouldn't have done something like that. You know, and you see how Lando instantly regrets it. Yeah, and, and then <laughs> like, and literally ends up wearing Han's costume in the final cl- closing moments of the film and as it's, well. It's interesting because you have this character development taking place with Han during the film, and yeah. by having a contrast to him show up like that in in the third act, it kind of it does show by contrast where he actually is at, despite yeah. how he might feel about himself or, or yeah, where and and even like to be. how certain fans feel about him as well. Because we talked about this point at the Force Awakens of Grace, there was this discussion of like the idea of you know the fan version of Han being very different from the actual version who appears fan in the Han. Fan Han, if you will. Um, it is worth noting Billy D. Williams hates the accusation that he betrayed Han Solo. Um, he thinks that Lando made a perfectly rational decision in the context of the situation. He just weighed up and sort of said, well, look, to protect my people in a position of responsibility. And this is interesting because this gets back to the 80s-ness of the movie and why I, like, Bespin is a huge part of why I would argue that, like, The Empire Strikes Back is one of the first science fiction blockbusters of the 80s is because you have this idea of Lando as a scoundrel who has gone, he's got responsibilities now. And in fact, that's one of the first things that like Han says when he lands in Bespin is like, look at you, basically. You're all responsible. And he's like, yeah, I have to be. I'm making money now. You know, that's how this thing rolls. So he kind of, he's, he's sold out, man. And this must be Leah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but he... <laughs> Yeah, Drew uh, Baker. <laughs> Where's Lake? He's looking. He's looking for some kid called Skywalker. Um, but yeah, there's. Um, but... I like Drew Baker. <laughs> Famous jazz musician. <laughs> but like this idea that you know he's he's sold out and he's become responsible. He's become the kind of almost like the yuppie figure that Darth Vader wants Luke to become because he's like given up his roguish ways and he's become like an administrative official. You've got Bespin, and Bespin is like this quintessentially 80s kind of idea where it's this little it's a mining colony that doesn't actually seem to do any mining whatsoever but it's the idea is it's independent and Lando is he's just trying to keep the heel of big government off his neck like one of the most depressing things I have ever read and the single reason that I am not on LinkedIn is because in my old job somebody shared a LinkedIn post that was like what can you learn about leveraging your negotiating position from Lando Calrissian's deal with the Empire and I was like, I am out of this. See, um, not a, in fairness to LinkedIn, not everyone on LinkedIn <laughs> is that person. You specifically know. Um, uh, um. But yeah, but you have this idea of like, again, this idea of like Reagan era, the myth of like the businessman who's gone out and he's made something of himself and he's trying to protect his workers and his staff and the people under him. And he's just trying to create a vibrant economy in his little corner of a turbulent world and you have the government man and they're coming in and they're putting regulations on they're going to be leaving a Why garrison there he's trying to protect his staff is that like is is is, is that something <laughs> that you know, Darth Vader's not staff friendly <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, do you do you think that's something that that that, kind of, that that's a trope like this rapacious capitalist <laughs> Yeah. Who, who feels uh, uh, threatened by some outside force and is worried about how that might affect <laughs> his workers. His workers. <laughs> Not himself. Um, yeah, no, it's very, it is very much playing I think, with that Reagan era trope. Yeah. Profits. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, there's, there's no mention of profits. 
There's no mention of business. There's no actual mining. You can't see any mining going on. Even when they go like into the bowels of Cloud City, which is again something, another thing I associate with Reagan era science fiction or horror, where you have this idea of a society that this is... This isn't good Reagan era No, okay, it's not Robocop though. or Robocop. No, our, our, our aliens are like, because no. it's not challenging the 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 whole um kind of idea of of, of well i think of, luke uh, i think luke's opt out kind of counts to a certain extent i think luke's like no i'll never join you if if you if you take several kind <laughs> of, leaps, uh, uh, leaps yeah, um, you can get to a point where he's challenging the kind of <laughs> capitalist system but i mean but i mean even things like say the way besbin is presented where you have this shiny beautiful like highly stylized lots of clean surfaces exterior on top and then when you get underneath you have this sort of really grimy exterior a grimy interior so things like the the dungeon for example but the furnaces where c-3po is being harnessed the bowels of it basically and the way in which the production design unifies the two so like the skylight in leia's apartment is designed the same way as the kind of holding bars at the top of the dungeon where they're held as well which creates this interesting kind of contrast between the two where you have this kind of really shiny, beautiful kind of exterior appearance that's projected out into the world and underneath this really dark, depressing, grimy sort of industrial center where you have people who toil in the dark and people being tortured and stuff, which remind me a lot of things like the the Wes Craven movies of the era. You know, like, again, this is probably the only time somebody's going to mention Empire and Nightmare on Elm Street in the same sentence. But even things like the people under the stairs or whatever, where you have this idea of, like, this fantasy of kind of this this reagan era fantasy of a, a business that is being run perfectly and just wants to care about staff and it's idyllic and look out at the sunsets and it's beautiful and it's everything you could ever want it to be and underneath you're like well there's torture chambers and dungeons and you know people in hoods i, are, you know. I don't see that okay no. well, well, i will like, say you, in fairness the 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 conflict between idealism and rampant consumerism is coming from the top down <laughs> in the form of, of, of George Lucas. I think for, as a storyteller, he is maybe idealistic. <laughs> like, I, 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 yeah. I, I can see where that would be coming from. I don't read a lot of Reaganomics or anything like that in this particular film, I don't think. No, no. I, I, yeah, I, I don't think Lucas really cares I think about the, any of that. The, these movies have a very straightforward I mean, good I mean, versus I mean, I evil kind of thing I don't going even on. say the, the prequel trilogy and again I don't think he does it well there but the prequel trilogy engage with things like the war on terror and you know the Iraq war and stuff like that don't think they do it well or elegantly but I think I they think do. he has a think... problem with the um, uh, system I, I, I think he's worried about the wrong people being in charge that it would work perfectly fine if um, all of this kind of Bespin mining colony, or all of these kind of trading, kind of um, oh yeah. um, if 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 it weren't for the 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 evil empire, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't. Yeah. They, they, it's, it's, it's not, it's not a biting. No, uh, I don't think it's biting at any point. I'm not suggesting it's biting. Yeah. It's a very child family friendly. And you see, as as I said, just for me personally, I think that the kind of the themes and the good versus evil aspect of Star Wars is better communicated through the characters than it is through the kind of wider stuff because the, I think the Empire is just so vaguely defined in the movies anyway. Mm. I don't know that you can get a very... I, I, I see what you're saying about how it's presented and stuff like that, but I don't think you can get a very clear presentation. Yeah. Like I, As far as Luke rejecting that goes, we, we just know that he's rejecting 
Darth Vader. You know, yeah. we, I, I don't think it's it's so much the it's the Empire that that he's rejecting. And I would argue that part of the problem with the prequels is that they are trying to put that focus more on the bigger picture when the bigger picture is vague and and uninteresting. <laughs> and the problem then with the prequels is that the actual characters, which is the strength of Star Wars, are well, and the dialogue poorly yeah. presented. And, yeah. I hate sand. It's coarse <laughs> and it gets no, everywhere. No one likes sand. <laughs> <laughs> it's coarse um, and it's rough. And it gets everywhere. It's everywhere. Um, okay. <laughs> but anyway, um, and I mean, I would. I'd I don't like capitalism. <laughs> it's coarse and it's rough. It's rough. <laughs> okay, well, to be fair, like Janet Maslin, the, the critic of the New York Times, has also argued say things like the inclusion of Yoda, who we'll probably talk about in a moment. But Yoda is like this embrace of kind of like the weird '80s sort of New Ageism. You know, you must unlearn what you've learned in the style of like that you'd soon accept to see permeating blockbusters with the Karate Kid. And things like that. This are like new age kind of vague spirituality. You know the idea, that sort of stuff. You know? It's all rubbish, though. Like you, you can tell that 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 Luke hasn't really gotten deep into into any of it. It's like let's just kind of put this sort of um, a vague kind of um, a guru uh, kind of character and it's not that important what he says but that he's he's, he's just short green and, yeah, and kind of old, has a distinct yeah, voice yeah. yeah all of his lessons are, are bad like yes. they, um, there is no try or, um, or <laughs> do or do not do size matters not <laughs> um, yeah. I, th- I think that they I think that if you look at as you said Luke is a very uh, whiny <laughs> yeah uh, a negative character I think that they make sense for him because he's so inclined to be like he can't do it <laughs> you know? yeah so um, I think he's right from the beginning where he says no, no. This, he's too um, old yeah he's, then, he's like I'm too old and you're rubbish. <laughs> no patience you have. <laughs> go away. No, seriously, go away. Like Waste he, my time you are. Watch my stories, I must. <laughs> by the time you get to the the sequels, you see that ultimately Yoda was right. <laughs> like There are deficiencies in Luke Skywalker's character that mean that no matter how strong with the the force that he gets he's going to morally and 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 Hmm. spiritually make bad decisions this is the thing with star wars in in general and it's again you know not to not to harp too much on on luke or whatever but like as a whole the the star wars franchise is a story of like it's the dad stuff it's what andrew described as dad stuff it's what you described as like the personal anxiety over how awful your parents are basically jess has written some good stuff about star wars and how it's all about dogs and dads (laughs) (laughs) chewbacca yeah yeah exactly chewbaker sorry um but (laughs) rtd2 though as well it's the ultimate dog cool we'll include those in the show notes if you can send those on actually um yeah i'll take them off perfect but um yeah the the dad stuff that ties in it but like quintessential to star wars is the idea and again, this is really weird as somebody who has a healthy relationship with my father, but it's like how your dad will always fail you and mess up and he'll always create a world that is terrible and only you can fix it. Only you can make the world better than your dad until you become a dad and then you mess up horribly and your child has to then come and tell you how horrible you mess up. I'm Tor 2D2 and... C3P. PCP. What does Lando call him? 
<laughs> um, or to do too soon. Um, uh, yeah, aren't they a mother and father as well, or at least a married couple? Where where C three PO they're is, the neighbors is, is the very um, like it is, is is the feminine. Um, yes. kind of um and and uh or two d two ain't taking any of that crap um quiet sort of uh, <laughs> surly yeah, emotionally yeah. withdrawn yeah 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 <laughs> I, we, can we get a bit of time later on to talk about c3po who is my favorite star wars character okay. on the last <laughs> yeah. slide. all oh, right and this is my favorite c3po movie uh, movie yeah okay yeah. well we'll put a little until, until i get the c3po spin-off star that wars so story <laughs> that, that i demand that you're so desperate but yeah but like star wars movies are traditionally about like your your parents messed up and made a horrible world um and you have to fix this so like if you think of things like say the original trilogy where it's like obi-wan kenobi is a failure he's living as a hermit not under his real name and you know hasn't bothered to mention to luke that his father might like want to come and murder his you know entire adoptive family at any point even here there's a sense of like betrayal where like when luke is crying in the cot after vader says i am your father he's not just angry at vader he's angry at like obi-wan ben why didn't you tell me for yeah, example yeah. but even like yoda yoda doesn't yeah. tell him y- yoda he doesn't... speaks he says kind of um anakin skywalker yeah rather so, than yeah rather. yeah rather than like your father and um I mean, or darth vader and he knows who yeah. uh, who this person is but won't actually say it but yeah. i mean even if you go back to the prequels you have characters like for example qui-gon Jin and count dooku for example or even mace windu who are like heroes of previous stories who are like mess up everything for their kids and like that's the thing with luke in the sequel trilogy as much as people hate the last jedi is like luke is basically filling that role that you know yoda played or that like obi-wan kenobi played or that qui-gon Jin played or that count dooku played which is you were hip and young and cool once and the world was your oyster but eventually you, you reach a point where you get old and it's time to get out of the way gramps and well, not not to talk too much about redacted you know what i swear and you put a clip in. <laughs> if i mentioned the last jedi if you just want to throw something else in there but um there is a lot of coding and that kind of uh parental uh failing in yeah. there apart from the luke stuff like i would argue even the sidelining of leia is kind of coded in how eventually for one reason or another you will have to assume responsibility and can't look to your parents no matter how awesome they are yeah. anymore um the stuff with uh with um holdo yes holdo is Holda. is like sometimes they will keep you in the dark and you kind of um, teenage rebellion and then you see an actual fact no they matter have- how righteous you were in your rebellion they 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 weren't they wrong to, idea, to, yeah. to do certain things um, like Han is a character that we love, but he's really done a number on <laughs> like Kylo, Ren. Kylo Ren and, and, and even the stuff with, um, with, uh, uh, Andy Serkis, uh, you know, yeah. the, there's a lot of that in there Snoke. about how, you know, your parents for a variety of reasons at a certain point, maybe won't be there for you or will seem like they're letting you down. But it's not about kind of wallowing in that or, 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 or letting that be an excuse to, to kind of turn to the, the, the dark, dark side, side. Or, or whatever. You do have to, together with your own generation, yeah. uh, um, kind of move forward. That's and it. what's interesting about the end of this, as you say, Luke is very down on Ben here. It's, 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 it's Ben that it's his betrayal, really, yeah, that it's is not most emotionally damning to him. Why rather than the me? revelation, which yeah. is what people remember. Yeah. And he's there hanging from the thing and he's like, Ben he says he says Ben why at first, but when Luke is hanging from, from the thingy, he's like, Ben, please. Yeah. And he's gonna die, basically. 
and it's not like Ben that speaks to him in that moment or or helps him out of that situation. It's Leia. Yeah. Leia connects with him through the Force in that moment and makes the decision to, to go, go back. back. Yeah. And to save him, and it's it's people together yeah. moving forward, and not relying on the people that have come before. Mm. Leia is kind of better place to do that because her parents were blown up. <laughs> so, <laughs> she got through know. her issues rather early. But you see, like uh, the a lot of the kind of leadership stuff that Leia takes on comes from a place of there is no one else to assume that yeah. responsibility, so she's the one that steps up to do that. Yeah, I mean, she's the one giving orders when they're evacuating Hoth, pretty yeah. much to the last yeah. person. And yeah, she kind of stays there till till the last, and kind of a lot of the what is seen and what is will they won't they stuff with her and Han is actually it's, her trying to bring Han up to to make him to a assume, man to a certain extent. Yeah, yeah. But there's a very which isn't you shouldn't be <laughs> <laughs> your partner's responsibility. No, but, yeah, no. Yeah. Make, make him a man is a very astute kind of way of putting it because it's a very childish. Um, uh, romance. It's very much Han is just kind of interested in pulling her pigtails. Yeah. Or her yeah. um, uh, Danish, space buns. Her space space buns. Yeah. And like that's what I, I've said before about Han that people remember him as a charming, dashing figure, which he's absolutely not. No. Yeah. He's a loony tune. <laughs> well, also, even here, he's a remarkable like jerk. There's a bit where he's planning to leave. But he's a bumbling jerk. Yeah. Like but he... it's, it's like when like the, the guy who's working for the Rebel Alliance, which Han has said he wants no part of, is like, maybe Luke came in the East Gate. And Han is like, well, why don't you go and check? It's like, you know, that sort of thing. It's like, I want to speak to the manager. Han is the guy in the, you know, the Olive Garden saying, I want to speak to your manager. There's a moment where like... Go to hell. <laughs> yeah, the only reason why they're not telling him to, to piss off is because the rebellion are so polite yeah. and nice. Or the, or the bit where like when, when Luke mentions that, you know, Leia's been looking for him on the radio. Han's response is, uh, I turned it off. I don't want to talk to her, yeah. which is the most immature... And he kind of drags Leia down to that level because yeah. the kind of infamous incestuous kiss is, is very much just a petty, a, yeah, like a, a "we'll screw you" kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and like, but yeah, Han is like it's a great performance by Harrison Ford because it it's pretty much like Humphrey Bogart meets Steve Martin. <laughs> <laughs> he's got that kind of peevishness, and he a lot of his facial expressions always really remind. And me. he's very good at slapstick as well. Like people forget how good uh, Harrison Ford is at slapstick. Like the bit where he's fixing the Falcon and the whole tray comes in on top of him, for example. Is it like Humphrey Bogart in the African Queen? There's a lot of that, yeah. and I've always found that in like Casablanca, there's there's a lot. Of, people think of Star Wars as starting everything, yeah, but a lot of the Han Solo-ish qualities that are very much in the DNA of of kind of pop culture go back further to stuff like Casablanca and to other Bogart performances, yeah. like, um, but the. At the, from the very beginning of this movie when he's telling Leia that he's going off and he, because he doesn't instantly <laughs> receive affirmation for that he gets into this very yeah. childish like well I'm out of here screw you and uh, I'm not going to give you a kiss they want me to stay how about you want me to stay yeah and like his, his, his even his body language is all the pointing and he kind of sticks his lip yeah. out and all that it's a really good performance but it's it's of a childish dickhead yeah. it's, the thing is as I say, pe- I've said this before. People think of Han Solo as charming because Harrison Ford is charming. Yeah. Har- Han Solo doesn't charm anyone in these movies. People generally to- respond to him uh, with dismissal or with anger or or 
it. And a lot of it justified. Yeah. I wanted to ask though, and it, it, it's a, it's a shame that the it's 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 great that we have the panel that we do. But I did want to ask somebody about the. I suppose I I would probably respond from my own point of view, but the kind of attraction of scoundrels. And that 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 we we can kind of completely discount that. Can't say kind of like, oh, what what is what is what is Leia see, is seeing him? He's he he's a scoundrel. But that 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 that's um and and he's not charming. He's a scoundrel. Um, but that a lot of the charm and a lot of the attraction comes from his, like his um. I think there's well, a big we, fat edge lord. Well, we, we were supposed um, to have um, Grace Duffy on. Yes. She, she unfortunately was unable to make it. I did ask her to provide some writing comments and she did say that Han and they are wondrous. Yeah. And there, what, I think there's a magnetism there because yeah. of his, because they offset each other and they, they piss each other off and he, because of all that. Yeah. Uh, the fact that he looks like Harrison Ford Probably is also a, a pretty big draw. But for me, I think that the... Was it last week we were talking about uh, Gone with the Wind and like the one of the arguments that we didn't get to bring up but the thing about like the way that Rhett assaults um, the other character in that and like the discussion of sexual politics that Molly Haskell points out that there's a difference between like actual sexual assault and kind of a rape fantasy where it's like you know was it uh, Brad not Brad Pitt but uh, Robert Redford won't take no for an answer and there's that element there as well where like Harrison Ford is you know Han Solo's not really that nice a guy but Harrison Ford has this chemistry and he's got that kind of flirtatious thing going on as well yeah yeah yeah, yeah. That's so it, it, that, it's not that, as peevish as it would be in real life because it's a fantasy but I, I think well not as it, when you say in real life if if well, it, it were you doing this, <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't be charming at all. No, no. no. But I mean, yeah. If, but, if 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 a man were to grab a woman with which he works, press her against the kind of worktop of their workspace, and kiss her like without her consent, yes, that would be creepy. And unless you're Harrison Ford. Well, okay. Unless it's a fantasy, and the fantasy stars Harrison Ford. It's interesting when if you've ever read a lot of what um what Carrie Fisher has written about the relationship oh, that yeah. she had there with was Harrison a, Ford. A lot of kind of Again, psychological abuse, a lot of... Well, just of, because he was so taciturn yeah. And, yeah. and would kind of like a, a lot of... Like he was older yeah, and married. Yeah. And, you know, they were in London uh, when, when, when their kind of relationship started up. Like he was away from his family and all that stuff. So I think he used a lot of easy outs <laughs> to kind of not engage emotionally and would barely talk to her. You know, it's very upsetting like, for yeah, her. Yeah, yeah. Because she was, yeah. Like Relatively she was, young at that yeah. point. And you, you see how a person might be, you know, more have moral failings maybe or, or be emotionally unavailable and yet people kind of see them in a different way because of how they present themselves publicly or, or, or kind of have movie star good looks, you know? Yeah. I, well, I, I, think, I think from what Carrie Fisher was writing at the time, there was, she really felt a, like drawn to dig deeper and to, to uncover a different side to Harrison Ford because he would let it out in kind of little bits yeah and i think there's an extent of him not consciously but just giving little bits along the way to keep her on side and keep something very easy and convenient for him without having to 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 commit because i i think it's pretty for like an older guy to yeah like an older married married man but this is kind of allegorical too 
um, uh, Han and Leia as yeah, well. Yeah, which is interesting. The kind of push and pull. Where, it, where where there isn't the same satisfaction in having somebody who is 100% kind of like emotionally available and communicative and um, uh, like just right. Yeah. You know. And that's like for me, Le- the, the back and forth, I don't think Leia is as into that as maybe Han thinks that she is. Right. I think, and, and because, as I say, because Han is seen by the audience as charming because Harrison Ford is charming and because maybe the traditionally more male audience are inclined to go with his perspective the overall romance is seen as a bickering will they won't they thing yeah and that she's drawn to his roguish charm yeah but in actual fact leia tends to respond more to the things about her uh, about han that he won't admit about himself his vulnerability and 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 the the care that he shows to others yeah um and you know when you get to the i know bit yeah it's really interesting to me how a lot of people don't well you can interpret things differently but i don't think that they interpret that or remember that maybe in the way that it plays out you know which is a big emotional step forward for i think han as a character if you want to, yeah, we want to get into that. Let's get into that because I mean, again, this is one of the most famous sort of improvised. Well, it wasn't improvised. Uh, Harrison Ford actually suggested before they started shooting, but it was not in the script. People think every. <laughs> Sorry, okay. people think everything in movies is improvised. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like and like oh, it wasn't workshop. Shot the guy and all this. Like you know, movies. The amount are... of setup that you need to set up a, a shot and a, Greedo. a sequence. Movies yeah. are pretty tightly yeah controlled. Uh, killed that extra <laughs> <laughs> for real, and it brought, made it into the movie. Brought a real loaded gun. It's, it's yeah. generally method. Bull- you know, yeah. but um, <laughs> real uh, loaded laser gun. Yeah. <laughs> Borrowed it from NASA. But I think a lot of people seem to look at "I love you" and and the response of "I know" as again this kind of like, well, sure, baby, why wouldn't you love me? I'm Han Solo, or or uh, as him not being able to say "I love you" I love to you, yeah. back. But that's not how I read it, because to me, they're in a situation where. Like they're basically, they've, yeah. you know, they've been on the run at this point from from the Empire. They, they've been in these really charged situations. Yes. It, everyone's on edge, and now it seems like they're at the end of the road. And if you look at where Leia is coming from emotionally, as she's had all this responsibility on her shoulders, she's had to be in charge of so many people. She's watched her entire planet die, yeah. and one of maybe the two human people that she's <laughs> close to is about to be frozen, frozen, but possibly killed. And either die right there, or be brought off to an evil space slug gangster, and then killed. So, emotions are running high. A fate worse than death. And <laughs> she has had to put up this front for so long, uh, for various reasons. Of Like, she's a strong figure, yeah. but she's had to put that position up for so long, and had to put up a position to Han of... Kind of trying to get him to get his act together and tr- being belligerent with him because he is legitimately <laughs> annoying <laughs> and all this and now it seems like he's going to die and in that moment like she's maybe never going to get another opportunity to, to say him. how she to let her guard down to say how she's feeling uh, 
And in that moment... Well, Chewbacca as well. (laughs) (laughs) But to me, because... And I think that Leia and Han are very similar in so many ways. And I think that without even maybe realizing that Han is responding to a lot of that. And Han is a person that lives very moment to moment, uh, kind of does things in the heat of the moment and doesn't think of himself as emotionally there for others, yeah. even though he, obviously he always based come, on what we see. He tends to always come through. He's got a lifelong kind of friendship with this uh, big guy that he <laughs> understands. He's very emotionally invested in, in his ship, which is yeah. maybe childish, but it means, you know, things... Yeah. Han does have these, these kind of values. Emotional stuff. attachments. But right. again, he's got emotional walls up. Yeah. And when Han says, I know, what he, to me, he's actually saying is, it's okay. Because she's freaking out. <laughs> Understandably, yeah. And it's like, she's she's saying I love you in that emotionally kind of charged moment of you're going to die. And he's, for maybe the first time, emotionally giving something back and saying, it's going to be okay. Mm. You know? Even if I'm going to die, it's like, he is giving something there yeah. that he hasn't given before. That, to me, is what makes it such a great moment. moment yeah. And it's great that it works on those different levels yeah. as well. Because for like like for that doesn't kind of I suppose take away from kind of like the the everyone um so many people's kind of interpretation is like what a badass. Yeah. Um, but it does yeah. even if you uh, like Harrison Ford's line readings of these of these moments are are interesting to look back at because it's not there's not there's none of that Harrison Ford smirk to it. Mm. It's very it's, much yeah. like I, I know. I'm reconciled. Yeah. He looks, yeah, he looks afraid rather than kind of defiant. Yeah. And it, it's funny I mean, even when he goes down into the into the thing to be frozen, again, like his look isn't... He goes down with his hands cuffed, and, but when, when the thing comes up, he's screaming and his hands are raised. In and it's funny to see when you when you look at Return of the Jedi then how much more co- kind of cowed he is emotionally. That he's kind of a, a lot more vulnerable than in Return of the Jedi having experienced all that. But people's... Uh, the way that memory kind of kind of can change your your, yeah. your perception of these things is interesting because even if you look at a line like "Never tell me the odds," yeah, which is in hindsight coded as this big defiant kind of I'm gonna beat them roguish thing. Yeah, that's it. He's just um C three photo. Oh, like in the line reading, it's don't it's like don't tell me the odds. It's like go away. I'm, I'm busy <laughs> <laughs> trying not to die. <laughs> what do we think Chewbacca was screaming? I love you. Yeah. <laughs> I love you. I think so. Yeah. That, like, that's, I love you. Yeah. That that's why Harrison. That's why sort of Han, Han Solo couldn't say "I love you" back to Leia. Maybe he. Was, maybe generic. he was saying she loves you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, nice. <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah, then when Leia uh, says it, he's like, "Yeah, I know." Chewbacca <laughs> already told like me. Yeah. <laughs> um, See so many layers to that particular scene. See nobody. Nobody gives Chewbacca the. They give Han Solo because Chewbacca is like he's a cool guy, you know. He gives, he gives Luke a hug. It's, he's a, he, he gives his he's father virtual reality porn. Yeah, um, it's, it's very open. Wookiee society is very very open. Um, <laughs> maybe <but> too open. <laughs> maybe maybe just a little bit too open. Because this is the thing about Empire, and we it's funny that we haven't really even talked about like the big revelation about Luke and his father and Darth Vader. I've heard it father. enough. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but um, because apparently, again, like this is the thing where we talk about Star Wars being improvised as a, you know, like the 
you have this fandom theory about like the idea that you know Lucas had all this planned in his head from the outset. He had like an entire plan. Really to... doesn't come across. He did not. No. Um, like he only first you watched of all... the first movie. <laughs> yeah. There's no suggestion that there's going to be a second yeah. movie. It wasn't and called certainly episode no four suggestion. until 1981 when it was re-released. Star the Empire Strikes Back is the first Star Wars movie to have an episode number in front of it, for example. Uh, but even things like, say, Darth Vader, um, Darth Vader being Luke's father, and you have these discussions about how I, I mean, called Luke... it Episode Four in nineteen eighty one. Yeah, when it was re released. Um, so a year 81. after eighty one, a year after the Empire Strikes episode Back. Episode four. Episode four. Was that confusing to people? Did they have to explain a lot? <laughs> yes. About uh, where episodes guys, one to three were. Episodes one to three are going well, to be Well, I mean, great. there are various discussions about whether or not Lucas at the time, I think, was arguing that uh, he didn't know if he was going to do one to three. And the idea was it was more to evoke, like, you know, space age serials and stuff like that. And to be like, well, you don't need to see episodes one to three. This is just picking up a story that's been going in motion. I'm, you know, I'm evoking that sort of thing. But like people say like, well, Vader is Dutch for father. Um, and so obviously Lucas had a plan yeah, plan from all along he did not he only... famous Dutchman George <laughs> Lucas like... uh, Star Wars an adaptation of Hans Christian Andersen's oh no that's Danish sorry Hans Christian Andersen <laughs> thank you very much um, but even even things like so it was not until close <laughs> close to the final draft that Lucas decided that oh, that Darth Vader would be Luke's father in fact the original film featured Anakin Skywalker appearing as a ghost at one point uh, on Dagobah, possibly during, you know, after the final confrontation with Vader in order to shore his son on. And it wasn't until... With Anakin. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, not Han, not, not Han, not Han Christensen. Um, but yeah, the idea was that it would be a different actor. Like at, at certain points out, they were thinking that like Darth Vader was a completely different person from Anakin. Hayden. <laughs> Christensen. Um, Christensen. Hayden Christensen Anderson. Um, anyway. Anyway, sorry. But yeah, it, it happened quite late in production. Uh, it was very much kind of like a weird, almost, you know, again, late stage development from Lucas that completely changed everything about the film, about the structure of the film. It was an improvised line. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, you know that the... Um... <laughs> Recorded afterwards, by the way. Well, yeah. by, um... by, by James Earl Jones. By James Earl Jones. Well, you know that, that that's the thing. What uh... if I say... <laughs> Sorry, who was that? <laughs> <laughs> While... <laughs> While they were filming it, um, Lucas was so concerned with leaks, the only person on set who knew the actual line wasn't David Prowse who played Darth Vader because Prowse, Prowse is an interesting character. Um, they have like accounts of like being on set during the filming of the, the Bespin sequence where Han is frozen. And like there's this really heated argument taking place between Carrie Fisher and Harrison Ford and Kirshner's in the middle of them trying to sort it out. And David Prowse is going up to the journalist who's on set and saying, by the way, have you seen my new fitness book? Um, like you have like, he'd be giving interviews around the same time saying, well, my, my wife is a born again Christian and I'm the living embodiment of evil. As you might imagine, it causes quite a ruptious in our marriage. I don't think he gets enough credit. Like I have a, one of, as I say, I love Darth Vader, uh, but one of, one of the things I've always found so entertaining about him is the body language. Yeah. The way that he kind of will well, he's jab a drama. his fingers he's a... and yeah, yeah, yeah. All that stuff is so important to um, how Darth Vader comes across and for, for such an iconic villain all of that stuff is really important Yeah, even when he just stands there there's just something about how he carries himself that is really really key Impressive. to how performance comes across Cause there, yeah, there, I can't think off the top of my head of any kind of um, 
impressive kind of James Earl Jones physical performances like where he's not that kind of actor where they've done a they've done an amazing thing I mean you don't think sitting there in the heretic 2 wearing a locust costume counts no no I don't (laughs) yeah I'm specifically thinking about that as as an example of but they they yeah where they they do this um they're allowed to do this thing where where they say oh we we have this actor to play the physicality of it and this actor to play the, the, uh, voice. the voice. Similar uh, to um, uh, The Exorcist. <laughs> and this film is very good at knowing when to use which moment. I mean, the big no at the end of uh, yeah. Revenge of the Sith is a, is a nadir. <laughs> for, <laughs> As for compared this. to the big no at the end of this one. Whereas if you, if you look at, at, at the end of this film, when they lose, when, when, when the Empire lose... Uh, the Millennium Falcon at the very end. Yeah. Uh, like Vader just walks away. He doesn't say anything. He doesn't like choke yeah. anybody. And it's kind of, when I saw that most recently, it kind of struck me as this kind of somber moment in a way. Like, it's kind of interesting. Yeah. I mean, but even when they were shooting that, that scene, the Luke guy and your father scene, I'm sorry to use the line again. Um, it's okay. As long as you don't tell me that you're my dad like <laughs> that would be very biologically impossible i imagine i'm going to be asking you for your twitter handle later on, so. <laughs> so people can tweet at you but like on on set they didn't tell david prouse because prouse was a notorious leaker apparently he would just spin the stuff living embodiment of evil <laughs> yeah that's that's fair um they only told um what's the line that prouse thought he was delivering was i killed your father um i know <laughs> yeah but even things, even things like um, so. Who did they Mark, tell? Mark Hamill was the only person yeah. who knew what the line was, and he was told specifically that he couldn't tell Harrison Ford, or he couldn't tell Carrie Fisher, he couldn't tell anybody. I, ima- I can't like that's that's so funny to me because I can just imagine like a boyish, enthusiastic Mark Hamill bopping his sappy <laughs> locks over to Harrison Ford offset and be like, "You'll never guess, Harrison. You'll never guess. They, like- they just told me that." Darth Vader is my father and Harrison Ford would be like who's Darth Vader yeah <laughs> like, I don't do you want shit. some of this bong or not yeah. <laughs> what, what are you what, what are you here well, you know that when, when they were trying shooting, to listen to some music like it's so funny um, to me to see and I, I guess people do project probably and I'm projecting this a lot as well but the dynamics of the cast Oh no! Like and Hamill, Hamill, Hamill's talked about this. Yeah, like sort of Hamill looking at, at Harrison Ford as this like older brother figure, yeah. and how that and, then comes across on the screen. And Carrie Fisher talking about seeing Hamill as somebody innocent, particularly yeah, compared yeah. to her, for example. Um, because like, because Carrie Fisher would have come from a kind of Hollywood background, background and, 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 and all that. And also, Mark Hamill was a moisture farmer. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's how he's so good at the role. Well, I mean, like they talk about like those cloud city sequences, like that famous "I know" sequence. Harrison Ford and Carrie Fisher shot that while drunk uh, because they come from an all-nighter at Eric Idle's house where the Rolling Stones had been playing. And apparently, according to this, Carrie Fisher had shared with Idle the Tunisian death drink, which was a cocktail that they discovered while making the first film. And they used to give it to extras. And this is kind of creepy in a post-Me Too era where we would give it to the extras to make them more, and I quote, compliant. Uh, But apparently they'd been drinking all night, hadn't got to sleep and literally got to set. Uh, on the Cloud City scenes. And apparently, according to Carrie Fisher, when you're watching the movie, you can see that Han and Leia are smiling a lot more during the Cloud City scenes than they are at any other point in the movie. Well, to go back to the main point of this podcast, the holiday special. <laughs> yes. Everyone yeah, yeah. in that We've is loaded to the nines. <laughs> <laughs> uh, lot, lots of smirking and 
dipping of the heads <laughs> going on in that one. When is my check arriving, basically? Because uh, the, the, um, isn't like Harrison Ford one of the world's biggest potheads? Um, yes, I yeah, yeah, but he's a big yeah. enthusiast for big for, enthusiast for yeah. marijuana legalization. Uh, but do we want to talk a little bit about the Freudian aspects of uh, the Empire Strikes Back and the whole kill your father symbolic castration stuff? I've wrestled with that my whole life, Darren. <laughs> 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 There's a lot of Freudian aspects to people coming up to you and <laughs> saying, "I am your father." Well, I mean, like, because we talked a little bit when we talked about Star Wars about the idea of it being again like a lot of Lucas films, like American. Is group- it his masturbating hand that he cuts <laughs> out? Yes, well, this is the thing. While holding his father's lightsaber, right? Because it's the lightsaber that Ben Kenobi gave him in the previous film. So that's the one that's cut off. And in fact, Lucas, when he was pitching this, described it as a, as a castration scene. This is your scene. father's dick. Yeah, basically. You're holding your dad's dick in More your hand. More elegant than a little dick. <laughs> uh, but even things like, say, say the, like, and this is kind of fascinating, because we talked a little bit about how, or I talked a little bit, I think Grace described it as American Pie in space. But the idea of the climax of the first Star Wars being like a losing your virginity, becoming a man moment, where it's like you're, you know, you're flying a spaceship, you've got to get this thing into a hole, it's going to cause a gigantic climax. Or normative it was yeah. weren't we <laughs> how all these stories are about like a, like a, a dick going into a vagina yeah I mean like Jaws for example is yeah. another one to, to pick that sort of stuff why can't it be a dick going into another dick um, well funny you should mention that because like one of the things because there is a the interesting <laughs> thing about there is a dick going into a dick in this movie there is <laughs> a, a, a the millennium falcon going yeah. into a worm yeah because this is the thing where the the relatively just to be clear I don't think that's how things work sorry <laughs> <laughs> this is <quite> important <laughs> different representation on your podcast because you got a treat it's like um... I'm not sure how to understand but you so, have also... just going up to like gay couples so which one of you is the dick that goes into the other dick? which one of you is the money and falcon and which one of you is the asteroid monster um yeah um <laughs> But you have like, so the original Star Wars has this very simple, very old fashioned idea of sex. You have this idea of the, the Y-Wing pilot being like, Luke, are you sure you're going to be able to pull out in time? You're going too fast. But you have like, what's interesting in inverted commas about Empire is how it gets a lot weirder with its sex stuff. And again, this is kind of like Lucas's weird preoccupation where it's, it's notable that it's like, it's love and sex that makes Anakin evil in the prequels, basically. You have stuff like THX, which is about a society that has outlawed sex, to pick an example. But even here, you have things like the asteroid monster, which is simultaneously like a vagina dentata and a monstrous penis. But you have things like the inwombing of Luke uh, inside the dead sort of uh, kind of like horse-like creature on Hoth, for example, as well. And, you know, Harrison Ford's line, I thought they smelled bad on the outside, uh, to pick another sort of example along those lines. But even things like the incest... Which, you know, Lucas very clearly knew at that point that Leia was. Hold on. For each of these, you have to explain. I think I know what you're saying, but I want you to say it. Okay, okay. no, no, continue. It's fine. What do you think think I'm saying, Andrew? I'm going to turn this back. What do you think I'm saying? Darren, when when you talk about the Tauntaun there, what do you think the Tauntaun represents? An inwooming... Um, it's literally an opening into which Luke is placed, into which Han observes, I thought they smelled bad on the outside. Okay. Which is, you know, 
has certain connotations, I would argue. If okay, if you want to go for the very blunt examples, <laughs> I sometimes just want you to slow down. Unpacking <laughs> like, <laughs> process. Was it like the Matrix where we were talking about like the idea of Neo being feminized? And I was like, I just ran through this whole list of stuff, and I was like, no, 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 we're gonna go back and unpack each one of these. <laughs> no, um, but if you want to go for the explicit stuff, then 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 sure. But if you want to look at Freudian uh, examples of things, Luke. Uh, goes into an enticing cave yes in the middle of his training <laughs> where he encounters his father who he has to kill to become a man and he's yeah. traumatized by his experience and then he comes out and immediately needs to run away <laughs> well i mean yeah well that, that's the thing is that like was it uh, freud said a hero is someone with the courage to rebel against his father and has in the end victoriously overca- overcome him um, over what <laughs> you heard me. Um, but you have you have this stuff where it becomes a lot more complicated and i kind of that's the thing that so I like. star wars is an incestuous movie where luke comes over his father that, that's basically what we're getting <laughs> at here but no but i mean i mean you have the original star wars is very straightforward it's this very juvenile idea and then what i like about empire is that it complicates it and makes it messy and makes it uncomfortable and makes it weird like really 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 weird like the the leia and luke stuff it's, the kissing like because that vader has this big helmet on this <laughs> but yeah you you have this idea and shiny this, helmet <laughs> sorry but it is it is actually shinier it was it was made shinier for the empire strikes back they yeah to be, make it more phallic um but yeah you have the symbolic castration of luke for example as well and you have this idea of yeah of basically doesn't he throw his lightsaber into the walker in the um original uh, version of the movie i don't know if it's it, it a bomb like i thought a it was, i thought it was a grenade i thought it was always in, a grenade in the that version that i i feel like i i, I don't know maybe so i'm he imagining uses this his long instrument to Penetrates, yeah. yeah, and then and then explodes. In that was my takeaway from it was that in the original Empire Strikes Back, he throws his lightsaber in and it blows the thing up. But how but, does he but get the then, lightsaber back? Yeah, but that subsequently kind of like fandom. First of all, we're like that was a very special lightsaber. He needs to have that. And secondly, kind of um, uh, the the lore of lightsabers just makes them more kind of significant. Than, than just something that you can throw into a into a into a. Well, yeah, because I mean, if you look at the if you look at again, of the, course they would just say he used the force to get it back. I mean, like, well, if you look at say, which is handy. <laughs> Andrew's very very dismissive of this because I don't know force stuff, Jedi lightsaber, but I mean, because again, like Lucas does refer to them as uh, laser swords in press and interviews around they don't become lightsabers until after you're talking about things like return of the jedi lucas is referring to them as laser swords in press up until that yeah. point because they're not they not use the word it's lightsaber Dutch, and... Dutch no, they do in film, light they do in film but i mean it's outside the right, film like right, lucas right. lucas hasn't quite drunk For, his own kool-aid yeah, yeah, to, yeah, to that extent <laughs> again like mark hamill going up between shots is like but, but i threw my lightsaber in there how do i get it back <laughs> <laughs> Kid, I don't care. Go, go away. They're, they're light swords. <laughs> oh. Beat it. <laughs> I'm trying to bomb here with Harrison. <laughs> um, and notable in, in that sequence in Bespin, actually, because we're talking about the changes that were made between the original version of the film and the remastered version. One of the changes that Hamill objected to, and which was taken out of subsequent special editions, was that in the 1997 or 98 release, when Luke falls to his death, Lucas originally added a scream. Um, he took that out actually, 
uh, of the later versions because Hamill objected. Hamill's idea was that at the end of Empire, Luke was resigning himself to death. It was basically suicide. Luke was, you know, it wasn't that he fell or he lost his grip or that he was losing blood or anything like that, or even that, you know, he had no option and was desperately hoping to survive. As far as Hamill sees that moment when Darth Vader says, I am your father, it's the point at which he, Luke gives up, throws himself to his death and completely surrenders, uh, which is interesting. You know, it's, it's a really depressing and really kind and of... Again, how does he end up going into that shoot? Was that the... That, that was just, that was luck, just a force. Seems. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, again, it, it's a vindication of what kind of Yoda says is that he'll just give up at the... <laughs> yeah. When, yeah. When things get difficult. And, you're and lame. That's, that's something you're <laughs> going to give up. You really, really suck. That's something that he has to, to get past emotionally. Um, and he kind of does, but it's still there. You know, we, we can grow emotionally and we can advance as, uh, uh, as individuals, but those, our failings don't uh, ever, they, sometimes they don't ever fully leave us, yeah. you know? In, in, in Return of the Jedi, Luke is kind of more, um, he has more conviction in, in, in what he's doing. Because I'm a Jedi like my father before me. He's he's arrived at this this kind of more emotionally solid place. He's kind of had a bit of time to make peace with the the idea that that um, that Darth Vader is his father, and he's a lot more kind of serene. And yeah. he's very he's he's very goal oriented. He's got to go get Han. He's got to go do X, Y, and Z. Um, does he go back to Dagobah before? Yes, he does for Yoda between. to die. He goes back and visits Yoda. Um, oh, it's implied that he completed his training. It maybe happens yeah. off screen between. Is it very much for Return of the Jedi? He's he's more the the complete article. Well, he has and he has his own lightsaber. He has his own green lightsaber to distinguish it from his father's blue one. And yet, um, there is the whole thing in Return of the Jedi where his judgment kind of does cause problems. Yes. still. because he's so con- convinced that he has to be the one to do certain things and yeah. he has to be in certain places and he has to go and uh, redeem his redeem father Vader, and that kind of screws everyone over he has yeah. that whole thing of, that he shouldn't have gone and, yeah. and, and all that you know so even even while he's matured he's still which is what I like about the Star Wars characters I like that they're cops oh. you know that's the thing is that like and then not to talk too much about Return of the Jedi which we'll be talking about next year but like one of the things that I like about Empire is that the first Star Wars is a children's film this feels very much like a teenage film this is again a teenage rebellion film this is a literally a screw you dad film you know as opposed to the first the first it's also a magical sort of adventure story or whatever but the first one is much more conventionally Campbellian in its structure your dad your dad is great yeah your dad dad was actually a war hero I'm your new father figure and and I'm great you know yeah and you're gonna get to be the hero and you're gonna be lauded you're gonna get medals pinned on you you're gonna meet a beautiful girl but it's not gonna be explicitly sexual there's gonna be no chemistry we're not gonna between rush you. you yeah we're not you're gonna move at your own pace it's gonna be very comfortable your older brother yeah. seems like a jerk but do you want to hold great. her hand yeah maybe don't hand. don't feel like you have to though let's not rush yeah. take your own pace exactly. uh, whereas Empire, it's just gonna be clear is that she's into you yeah whereas empire is is much more kind of icky and much more sort of like teen and angsty and dramatic cop too <laughs> but it when when leia kisses luke he does this hilarious thing oh where he folds his hands behind his hands him. behind his head and he's kind of like basking in it in front of the lads like yeah. <laughs> it's very pathetic no it is but it, it's very much like young teenager just had his first kiss it's like look at how cool i am i kissed a princess um, right and then what's interesting then is if you're going through those stages of maturity 
for through George Lucas's eyes, when you get to Return of the Jedi, it's just that he's past all that. Yes, <laughs> it's not. He's not concerned with those that's kinds of things thing. anymore. So we don't have to deal with it. <laughs> but that, that's it. Is that like one of my issues with Return of the Jedi is that it it pushes squarely back from the teenage stuff in Empire. Like I think Andrew Andrew's very fond of stating on the podcast that Star Wars are children's films, and I would kind of agree with that. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. No, I don't um, either. But and and people get very sensitive when you point that out. But I think that Empire... They, they might if you keep talking about it. <laughs> dicks. <laughs> <laughs> it's not appropriate for children to be watching this. Um, but you they like... all live like puppets. Yeah. This is Sesame Street kind of... Yeah, thing. well, I mean, Yoda uh, was originally supposed to be in like a miniature uh, Santa Claus at one point is what oh, they were considering. Wait. wait. <laughs> like they went through several... <laughs> I know you mean like looks like Santa Claus, I suppose, but just the idea of like the full red and the... was, like in, like I, in Narnia. Can I guess? Know, was was this George Lucas who thought of this? <laughs> yeah. he, he transformed from a miniature Santa Claus to a Big Bird style creature to a leprechaun troll gnome hybrid. Um, they originally considered putting a Just monkey. What he became. Oh, it gets. They originally considered putting a monkey in a costume. Uh, he was the right height, says Rinsler, the, the biographer. Yeah. Uh, but monkeys don't like wearing costumes, so it just wasn't going to just work. Just keep in mind how much cocaine there would have been on at this moment in time. He's, he's got to be Santa Claus. No, he's got to be a monkey. <laughs> We're going to put him in a costume. It's have big you, bird. Have you, have you, we, we've all tried cocaine, right? Uh, how about this new thing? More cocaine. <laughs> And again, Let's all try that. Mark is there on the set like, everyone's really energized. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just listening to the Rolling Stones on my headphones. Um, what are you guys doing? Oh, don't worry, Mark. Nothing concerning. I love the Rolling Stones. I don't know what they're singing about, but it sounds cool. <laughs> <laughs> they seem like really righteous dudes. And it's really great when you hear Mark Hamill talk about the moment he knew Star Wars was a thing was when he landed in Chicago and there were fans waving banners to greet him. And he was like, oh, shucks. Uh, I kind of love Mark Hamill. She whiz. <laughs> all for us. Um, and even in interviews, he's like, uh, the interview is like, you mean like the Beatles? Like, oh, I would never compare us to the Beatles. Um, but yeah, he's like, kind of the Ringo of the, <laughs> yeah, of the, of the team. Um, but yeah, like, so Empire is this. He, kind of- he he is, by the way. The 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 the, the time I um, was standing next to Mark Hamill, he I was I was staying in a hotel that I that I'd worked in, and he was also staying in the hotel and came up to the to the counter and was like um complaining about the wi-fi and the person at reception was busy and also had no idea who he was so it was like <laughs> the most kind of um one day uh, yeah 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 the wi-fi is not working yeah. <laughs> oh, damn it it's no. hopeless oh <laughs> ben why didn't you tell me the wi-fi password um but like the thing that like empire is this kind of teeny angsty kind of story and like one of my issues with return the jedi is that it retreats from that teenage angst back to like cuddly teddy bears oh you don't really want to kill your and dad doggies. and doggies yeah, yeah. yeah but like you, you the don't... walkers the... oh. they're doggies presumably if we're talking about daddies and doggies just, I don't want to infantilize it. It was dads and dogs. Dads and dogs. Sorry, that's not and daddies and doggies. Doggos. Daddies and doggies is on clips for sale, not on film. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, but uh, but the walkers are doggies. Yes. Yeah. Not yeah. dogs. Um, well, yeah. Um, we, and then we're somehow back to the weird, kinky adolescent sex stuff. Thank you for that, Andrew. Uh, 
And I mean, yep, yeah, you, you cut them open and you throw a bomb inside and there's just an explosion and everybody's very, very happy. It is worth noting, again, the hot sequences <laughs> were shot in Norway um, in the middle of a blizzard, one of the worst winters they ever had. Apparently the film and the cameras would freeze, uh, rendering it completely inoperable. Oh, actually, sorry to, to interrupt, no. but just on the point of the pseudo-sexual implications of Star Wars uh, and, and all that stuff, what you realise retroactively from that Han Solo movie is that the Millennium Falcon... Which which Han is so lovingly protective of, and which uh, which he kind of took from Lando, and which he phallically flies into the asteroid, uh, and has his first kiss with Leia while inside the Millennium Falcon, while inside an animal inside of an asteroid, is actually Phoebe Waller Bridge. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen Solo? Yes. Oh yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. So that was Phoebe Waller Bridge. Yes. Yeah. So he, yes. So we have that level of kind of weird in wooming within in wooming within. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's interesting. <laughs> There's a lot to unpack here, and it's kind of perhaps that's why when it came to Return of the Jedi, they were back to yeah. Luke doesn't really care about any of that stuff. Um, but it, Harrison Ford is kind of like the hot priest, you know. He's emotionally unavailable. He's you know, it's interesting. I think that's the only time Andrew Scott has ever been likened to Harrison Ford. Um, uh, but yeah, that, that's kind of the weird thing about, say, The Empire and Sorry, Return of the Jedi is that it feels like it feels like a retreat from the, the angsty teenage stuff where you have like The Empire Strikes Back is largely about killing dad. It's about like wanting to kill dad or dad's going to kill you or dad's going to destroy you. And there's no way to reconcile that. So you might as well just kind you of give up such and a surrender. Wimp. Yeah. <laughs> you weren't such a disappointment. Like, yeah, like, yeah. It's like Hot Rod. <laughs> you're no son of mine if I were proud of you you'd be able to take me down <laughs> well yeah I mean is that the argument we're talking about this as a Generation X movie it's been argued that there will never yeah, be fight a, me like a man there will never be a Generation X parent uh, sorry president there will never be a president of the United States a Generation X president of the United States Camilla Harris is the only uh, major candidate this year who could actually be was Obama not a Generation X no I think X Obama president? was outside uh, he was outside by a couple of years very close, but outside by a couple of years. Uh. Uh, but anyway, so is there everyone else? is in their seventies who's going to who's going to get it? Well, that, like that, Elizabeth Warren, Joe Biden, Joe Biden uh, or Trump, Trump, even himself again. Um, yeah. Bernie Sanders, they're yeah. all in their seventies. They're all outside, it. and so then even like the younger kind of movement as well. I think uh, Beto O'Rourke is probably a little, probably young enough that he falls outside that bracket. As well, well, would he be a millennial though? He would. He wouldn't be young enough. Oh, um, for 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 that would he well um that that mayor of um pp tank um pardon pp tank again uh, i don't pronounce names right no no yeah no now i understand what you were trying to say um, <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah sorry um but anyway. luke actually you wanted us to ask about c-3po before we yeah, wrap up the like best your favorite character <laughs> <laughs> i love c-3po so much i love what a coward he is <laughs> i love how he's just because like R2D2 is very much he's in it for the revolution, you know. Yeah, he, he is a Hardened. dedicated soldier. C3PO when they're Conviction. in the. Yeah. Is, is R2D2 a dedicated soldier? Or is he just a sociopath? Like R2D2 repeatedly no, throughout the films. No, 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 no. He, he has he has uh, convictions. Okay. I don't know why though, <laughs> because like like they were they weren't programmed into him. Nor can you change R2D2's programming. Yeah. He will always believe in the right thing to do and and, yeah, and like, kind of follow that yeah. he's for quite, some reason he, i don't know how that works uh, he's quite adamant in Before. the first movie about getting the, the, message, the message to them where c3po is self-interested <laughs> it's like yeah. let's not it's be like, disassembled and he's like yeah or 2d2 
you're you're a slave and and your master has changed why are you still kind of on this thing but uh like in sorry in in this at the start of this c-3po's concern is with like i think he's talking about the washing of clothes or yeah. something like that and how cold it is and stuff <laughs> he's a robot i don't know why he's concerned about these things but just the way that he is with the other characters, like when they're when they're trying to escape, and that the fact that he's constantly being told to shut up and to go away, and he like he's usually right, but it's just his way of 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 expressing himself is so annoying that nobody wants him around. I love that even other robots don't like C three PO, and and uh, you know they they R two D two is just kind of stuck with him. That's why R two D two went into a little sulk before the Force Awakens. When, like when he gets to the the Cloud City, it's the other robots that that betray C three PO and and break him apart. And again, it's it's only Chewbacca, the most emotionally mature character, that actually takes responsibility for putting him back together. He's the only one that actually gives. A- <laughs> where he's gotten to yeah. that's one of the things and again if you don't have that kind of emotional uh, um, if you're not at peace emotionally and if you're not willing to be concerned with others then that can lead to your downfall if they had acknowledged C-3PO's absence sooner they may have known that something was afoot but they didn't and they got screwed over um, but I, I just love like the, when C-3PO is at the end when they're trying to escape he's as usual like we're doomed we're, we're t- and then I don't they, think oh, he like, has any statistical software yeah. <laughs> like that it's figure just yeah, it's I, just negative he's just negative. constantly trying to make everyone go home and, and back out of this whole thing <laughs> it's like the, this, the odds are that we won't succeed and yet they always do so why do. even try so he's probably <laughs> not that good at it but yeah at the end he's like we're doomed we're doomed and then when they get onto the ship he's like I never doubted you for a second <laughs> I, Please don't dismantle me. It's great because it's having a character like that, having this like naysayer. Um, he's a protocol droid. What is he there for? <laughs> like, Translating why, why, apparently. He's like, I, I, I will communicate with the people on Bespin. Oh no! Oh, <laughs> oh what has happened? Oh, my whole use here has been diminished. But, but it's also um, even like the I don't recognize what that Imperial probe droid is speaking. It could be an Imperial probe. Uh-huh. But, but what what what's interesting to me in kind of robots and how they're used in Star Wars in general is that um, they are kind of treated like objects, you know. Yeah, even even with C three PO and R two D two being active characters, people don't talk to them like they are people. I mean, like Harrison, sorry, Han Solo repeatedly tells him to get lost. Yeah, yeah. Like, to, to, to... like, but but not in the way that you would a person you don't like, like the way you would with a piece of technology, like a Google Home is, person. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Which is why Solo is so weird because it all happens before it is. Yeah, <laughs> but, um, but like in in the, the movie that confirms Luke Skywalker was a slave owner, basically. Yeah, but, but in, in sorry. sorry, in in the first Star Wars, when C three PO is telling Luke all about R two D two and and his name is R two D two, Luke kind of says hello in this kind of like oh right he has the name way, and yet because R two D two. Because of his personality, everyone you know, everyone loves R two D two, and like in the sequels, everyone loves BB eight because they're on. Side. They're sassy. Yeah. Whereas C three PO is very insistent about being used as a a protocol droid and and kind of being the translator and all that stuff. Shiny and the pedal bit. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's very he's very much. I'm here for 
my use as a machine and people treat him accordingly uh, he doesn't get the respect that he deserves <laughs> because he, he won't kind of cop on and, and and get with the get with the program you've now convinced me that c3po is the samuel jackson character from Django unchained <laughs> <laughs> well I, I like i was always i always thought that i would love a c3po solo movie because of how he is in return of the jedi yeah and how he's the, the god figure of the um, the ewoks the ewoks I would have loved a movie where he inadvertently causes this like <laughs> robot revolution, and then Solo did that in like one scene, and kind of yeah, it, it took that away from me. Yeah. But uh, like yeah, I, I love him. In, he's actually maybe one of the reasons I love Return of the Jedi so much is because of him being worshipped by the by the Ewoks and being the one that actually saves their ass in the end. Uh, do you want to talk very briefly because nobody ever has about Boba Fett? Yes. <gasps> Uh, was <laughs> that, why is he such a big deal? Yeah. Was that was, was that uh, uh, was yes? Were, they were, used the voice from the prequels. Yeah, they redubbed I was gonna, it. I was wondering because it's like Pete Pete in Solo in the cargo hold. <laughs> um, it's yeah, where 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 you, where you have to what? Darren's making a a a, a face because because I'm make, <laughs> making fun of a Kiwi <laughs> accent. <laughs> <laughs> Is that is uh, is that it's, going to be edited okay. out? No, no, it's grand, Mister Trade Federation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but but I, I, it was it was just so odd that they that they, they had put the, that in. Well, they also in. redubbed the Palpatine stuff as well with Ian McDermott because in the original it was voiced by a woman, I believe, and the image was like a chimpanzee in a painting. Was how they they originally you can uh, well include really? images in the show notes. Yeah, so it wasn't Pal- it wasn't Ian McDermott in the original film. Ah. Yeah, because yeah, he only comes in and in Return of the Jedi. And in fact, they desperately—you can tell—they desperately try to paste over certain plot holes uh, in the film, where it's like, when did uh, when did Vader learn that Luke was his son, for example? Because he clearly doesn't know in the original Star Wars. So you have the line where the Emperor just kind of drops it casually, where he's like, "The son of Skywalker still lives," in order to preserve the twist at the end of the movie. And it's like, search your feelings; you will know it to be true. And like, so you have this weird moment where to fix a continuity gap. Lucas inserts this really odd, emotionally dead beat where Vader's like, huh, okay then, <laughs> moving on. Well, he does go, uh, that's, he, very quickly Vader's like, well, but he could be turned, though, yeah. you know. Yeah. But, um, yeah, again, people get very, for, for a variety of reasons, people don't like how in Redacted the Emperor-like figure is, uh, Snoke. is kind of glossed over. And yes. It's like, why is he not treated as important? But the Emperor is not really no. <laughs> that important to these movies. It's a, it's a concept. Yeah. You know? It's like a... What is a, Redacted? Last Jedi. Last Jedi. <laughs> I just don't want to say it by name. <laughs> because you'll invoke it. Ah. Um, um, but yeah, it, it, the Emperor isn't important. He's the boss figure to be overthrown, basically. And yeah, then he becomes yeah. retrofitted in the prequels and stuff like and, that. And, and now, arguably, Rise of Skywalker. And as well. because of, not to take another hour talking about the, the, the sequels, but because of J.J. Abrams' um, storytelling uh, mystery box style, yeah. people get this idea that, oh, there was a lot about Snoke that we wanted to learn and we didn't yeah. get that. Yeah. But there was a lot of talk he, about him in between. Yeah. It, it's it's a character that is only a function. Um, yeah, it's only relevant in um, accordance with how Kylo Ren feels about him at a particular yeah. moment. You know, uh, Kylo Ren and um, Pat Fox. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know. I, I mean, love, I love I loved all the talk about like how how 
what size, what kind of scale is uh, in between the movies? Oh, how uh, big is Snow? How big is Snow? Is this like, a life-size hologram? Is he size <laughs> yeah. like the size of a, a kitten? A little midget. Like this yeah, is the twist yeah. is that he's going to be living inside a ring somewhere. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like that, but this gets back to the whole thing about Star Wars where you have this mythology stuff because Boba Fett is the same thing. Yeah, exactly. Like people and people talk about Star Wars as a super nerdy thing even though yeah. it's one of the most popular franchises, franchises ever. And that's because it has, if you want it, deep dive stuff. Yeah. And that the we just QB the kind of the the episode four, even though it's the first one thing. At the time, I suppose if you were if you were interested, you would kind of look at it and then go, "Oh, there's all these different stories that are going to be coming, and there's prequels and blah blah blah." And then the ordinary punter could handily not care about it and just, yeah. It's that one, Star Wars, and this one is Empire Strikes Back. You know what I mean? Um, the 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 lore has always had kind of handy, you're in or you're out yeah. kind of side to it. And uh, you know, I think to an extent, one of the maybe because there are people that don't like, say, the Last Jedi and things like that, with perfectly valid yeah. reasons yeah. for that. Um, but maybe part the, of it is well, I I accept the part of the reason that I can go along with it is I don't really care about. Yeah. Snow or about yeah, mythology like or about yeah, um, I can just kind of get on board with it. Yeah, but Boba Fett sucks. Like, can we just say yeah, <laughs> he's a was... non-character? It's a cool-looking toy, and then it became popular retroactively. Yeah, that's that's the thing. It's where he's he's this larger-than-life presence, despite being just a background extra with a nice costume. Um, which yeah, is, yeah, well, he uh, is the one. Um, he's the he's he's the one bounty hunter um, that's, uh, that 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 made the right choice like you would expect that there would have been one other bounty hunter whose plan was i'm just gonna follow boba, boba fett, fett. <laughs> <laughs> he looks like he knows what he's doing he's yeah kind of cool i'm gonna follow him. boba fett and, and when he when when he catches up on on uh solo i'm gonna solo, shoot him i'm gonna shoot boba fett and take all the glory yeah. but but it's i think boba fett is maybe one of the first points of where we're at with fandom and how yes. they engage with properties in between installments yeah. now yeah. in that because he's named and because he's the one that takes han away at the end of this movie and because he had a toy before the film began yeah. and he appeared in the holiday so special I, I, holiday what special. i imagine is that in the time between this and return of the jedi he got built up a great yeah, deal he's surely going to be important he's surely not going to be killed yeah. off in the first 20 minutes and in a completely and embarrassing no way like, yeah his jetpack malfunctions and he's eaten by a monster. Like, oh. that's pretty much Boba Fett's Han, Han kills Boba <laughs> Fett. And he Accidentally. Does, he doesn't even know that he yeah. does it. I we have, and then so we have uh, Boba Fett in um, uh, Revenge of the Sith. Yeah, well, in all of in the original trilogy, he pops up, or in the prequel trilogy, he pops up in Attack of the Clones but, as well. He's, but if that. Oh, ha- sorry, no, in, in Attack of the Clones. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But if that happened now. Where a character was introduced at the... Well, it would be Snoke. It's a yeah. Snoke situation. The character at... is introduced as a function and then well, killed off. It would be, that was pointless. And we're, we didn't get the payoff and all yeah. this. There would be outrage. Whereas... It would be YouTube videos explaining how Lucas did no story structure. Yeah. And that sort well, of stuff. Whereas, because it was at the time, and those people... Well, well I mean, the... whoever may have been younger, they just remember the and excitement of... Yeah. Oh, Boba Fett. Well, I mean, that, that's the Boba thing. Who the... 
Boba Fett. Like, get out of here. But I mean, it is worth noting that Empire had a very, like, it, it wasn't universally accepted. Um, it, despite the fans now regarded it as the best Star Wars film, it generated a great deal of backlash. The reviews were mixed at best. Fandom was apparently divided on. A lot of people thought the ending was a hackneyed cheat. It made no sense. It wasn't, it didn't fit with their idea of what Star Wars was. Um, it was a betrayal of the characters. That Lucas, my Star Wars. Yeah, not my Star Wars. That it was like Lucas was going to rewrite it in the next film and fix it. You know, Darth Vader couldn't possibly be Luke's father because that's not what the story is about. And like a lot of the stuff that we accept is happening. Dutch to... word for father. Yeah, but <laughs> obvious, you idiot. But like a lot of the stuff that we take for granted today in terms of dealing with fandom happened with Empire Strikes Back. The only problem is the internet wasn't there, so it didn't fester. And like whenever that's it, yeah. And whenever people mentioned Empire, you didn't have somebody in the back shouting, "Empire sucks." Well, I'm sure there were boring people before Star Wars movies. <laughs> yeah, that's. Yeah, but they, they didn't have a forum that they could yell on 24 hours a day at people who liked what they didn't yeah. like. Star Wars was the catalyst for something <laughs> deep inside. Like the soul. Just yeah. sort of um, very briefly before we wrap up, um, we haven't talked that much about how well the film is made because it's made spectacularly. It looks absolutely beautiful. One of the things I really like about it is the way in which it uses colour or doesn't use colour. So it opens with lots of whites and greys and blacks. Hoth, the Empire... Uh, even when you go to Dagobah, it's this kind of washed out muddy color, the greens and the blues. And what I like is as the film gets more complex and as Luke, you know, begins to embrace the idea that maybe the force isn't just dark and light and maybe his life is more complicated, you start seeing colors introduced with Bespin. Like the sunset, which I mentioned is a change I quite like, but that gives it like a rich amber. But even in the bowels of the city, you have like the underlighting with red and blue and it introduces a strong sense of color into the film in contrast to the clear black and white of the first half of the film, which I really, really like. There's also lots of really... Well, co- like, the be- be- Bespin doesn't seem to kind of move away too much from kind of like the... the it is a very white... Oh, uh, the, the surface yeah. is. But then you go underground and you have like the chamber where he's frozen That's carbonite, a, yeah. which is lit red. And even within that, you've got blue lighting on the characters as well. You've got like a lot more kind of color going on there. And when Luke is dangling off in the sky, it's kind of red as opposed to being like white or blue or gray mm-hmm. or cloudy. So you have this kind of emergence of color over the course of the film, which I really really like I think it's very very well done and I think it kind of works it looks beautiful like it's with the exception of The Last Jedi the best looking Star Wars yeah it's what's interesting to me about it is the amount of money that they spent on it it is it's on screen yes you you, you see every kind of set of that and I think um, Lucas is a very technical guy and that's obviously something that, that is very yeah very important to him and what's interesting is when you look at the prequels, I think Lucas felt a lot of expectation on himself and a lot of pressure on himself to push technically. To, 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 to push things technically and to, to set a new bar yeah. in kind of this new environment of, of, of CGI and green screen and that. That was very important to him um, and not to the audience. Yeah. You see yeah. stuff like because like, at the time like, Empire would have been a massive step forward technically but yeah. people don't look at it like that the way that they do say with Terminator 2 or, yeah. or, or something like that or so, even like Attack of the Clones where people talk about shooting on the first one of the first big films shot on digital for example yeah but it, it, it it's one of the things that ended up taking away from the, the prequels is that he was so focused on that um, yeah. and yet a lot of the advancements that they had made at that time other films bore the reap the rewards of that after the prequels and and it's interesting then when they when they got when by the time they get to the sequels and it's not talked about much that's 
they're, 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 gone they're technically competent, but there is no focus. There's no like the yeah. like. There's no technical push forward. Nobody want that's that's been dropped. Yeah, as yeah a, in, fact, as in a, fact, they've actively gone sure. backwards. Like I mean, Abrams made a point they've, to they've, use they've the had, Panasonic C series the, camera um, they used here. CGI Peter Cushing. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, but that's not the, the yeah. They they they're they're technically very. There's well a bit of showing off. But I don't think that the same advancement extent. is is, is a, of a concern to them because yes. it's fallen under this umbrella of DJI. Like, we will spend a lot to make it look good, but we're not looking to innovate. And yeah. it's probably best in a way because I, I feel like the prequels suffer from that because they, they there isn't the same character yeah. or heart to these the uh, actual CG, uh, characters. Um, Even uh, Yoda, to pick an example here. Yeah, Yoda yeah, yeah. is amazing. Where, like, so yeah. expressive with his eyes and his gestures and his Absolutely, and the, and the tauntauns and the wampas. Yeah. And... The, the tauntauns are like stop motion in the long distance shots and they're beautiful. And yeah. I think like they're, they're all coming from the, the Disney umbrella, but I would say that the Star Wars movies now still look noticeably better than the Marvel movies. Yeah. Um, so they, they are technically still very skilled, but that that kind of, because Lucas is I think that's because they choose now, directors though. Because like, I mean, yeah. Abrams is drawing from the Spielberg school. I can't think of a Marvel director who is in Spielberg influenced, to pick an example. Yeah. And Johnson is obviously a director with his own strong sense of visual style, you know? Yeah, well, uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, the one that looks most Marvel-like is, and I love Ron Howard, but the, the, Mar- the, the Star Wars movie that looks most like a Marvel movie is Solo. Yeah. Because yeah. uh, it's kind of flat and it's it's generic and it doesn't have any real sense of push to it. Yeah, and I that, but even in in I think in the court of public opinion, that kind of technical advancement, I think audiences have been primed to be against that, yeah. Yeah, to a certain extent because of the prequels and because of how people react as well to. Um, even Avatar? To Avatar, yeah, yeah exactly. Avatar, the, like, the James people kind of make a Most... wanking motion at the yeah. idea of. A film being a vehicle for a technical... And yet when they get it, they usually... You know, they they turn out for it. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, audiences go for it. But I think movies that we've seen that have that sort of um, CG spectacle, which this movie doesn't have. This movie is a kind of a a technical uh, marvel. Yeah. Um, But But a lot of it's practical. Yeah, yeah. But... And... and, um, but even like we spoke about Man of Steel and how like from the beginning I was just completely out of it. Like because it was so CGI. Yeah, so yeah. I was, so, yeah. I was like, are are watch, watching the like uh, scenes from the Transformer movies? Yeah. Like I've never seen those movies, but I've seen them walking past those shops that sell TVs. Yeah, because they they look really good on like a technical. Apparently point of view. they do. <laughs> so I've been informed. But I was looking at it and thinking like I would hate to watch that movie on that television set and, or on any yeah, kind any, of. Yeah. Uh, and it's 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 it stands out as you say because in the re-released versions when Lucas puts that back in it takes away from yeah. like, the visual quality. So things it. like the original Star Wars where you have in the background, well, Jabba the Hutt scene. Yeah, all the CGI stuff that they throw through. in yeah. takes away from it massively. Like, um, And then just finally, before I wrap up then, one more thing is the actual, I mentioned earlier, the film is structured like a serial. So there's lots of episodic adventures. And again, one of the interesting things is the film, and I think that David Jarrett pointed this out in his Starlog review, which is one of the most pedantic reviews I've ever read, where he's like, they shouldn't have cross-cut the Adventures of the Falcon with Luke's time on, on Dagobah. I mean, how long was Luke on Dagobah if you're cross-cutting with the time on the Falcon? Like, how long was the Falcon on the run? 
because you have this oh, conversation. But it, yeah, he was a precursor to uh, Nolan. <laughs> Playing with time and cross-cutting. Yeah. Well, yeah, because it is. That's why you we, notice with the mu- music. Because yeah. like, there's a moment where like Yoda points out, you know, um, after what happened in the cave, you can't, you can't do this. And Luke's like, that was ages ago. And you're like, that really doesn't seem like it was ages ago based on what you're cross-cutting against. Um, but outside of that, the fact that the film is like narratively distended and sort of random and abstract and takes these little cul-de-sacs and adventures where the Millennium Falcon, you know, goes up into space, away from the Empire Fleet, into the asteroid field, towards the Empire Street. Spent several away, months in the asteroid yeah, field. Away from, away from the Empire Fleet again, back to the Empire Fleet again. And then finally Remember away that with the winter garbage. we spent in a worm. <laughs> yeah, we don't talk about it much. But like, despite the fact the narrative is kind of abstract and, and weird and kind of bendy and isn't as like straightforward as say the original Star Wars with its, you know, you got to save the princess, you got to blow up the Death Star or even Return of the Jedi where it's like, you got you to gotta blow up the Death Star again for some reason. I, One I, of the reasons like, why Empire way, works for me. Oh, sorry. Uh, on, this is very important that I interrupt you. No, the, 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 on the Millennium Falcon, I don't feel like there's any food on <laughs> board. Last. I don't think they have, um, like, I think they zip between planets and then they eat when they get there. What like, I would just say, okay. now again, I keep saying I'm not a Star Wars guy, but then I'm like, but, no, you're wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this one, I wasn't insulting it. No, 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 no. To be clear. But, um, the... What 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 should be pointed out with the Millennium Falcon in in this movie is that it's um hyper hyperdrive drive thingy is on which mentions the speed of light. So, yeah. Right. So the amount of time that they're actually taking to get to D- Bespin. Bespin could be ages. Don't ask me the name of Star Wars. But... <laughs> I like that. I'm I'm offended by your criticism of it, but I'm not going to remember the thing. I, I go back Cloud and forth. City then. But yeah, yeah. It's probably longer than it appears in yes. the edit. Yeah. So that, I think that's where they make up the time. I don't think you need you know? to justify that. I don't think you need to explain that. It's a movie. It's a story. No, it's not telling it's, that. Though. Yeah. It, <laughs> it, it, I think it's cut in a way also, that makes emotional yeah, uh, sense. Uh, sense yeah. But I think that there is a. And also, like, I think there's a consistency. Yeah. And also, even things like gravity and stuff like that, time yeah. moving differently or whatever. The force. The force. Um, the force, force is the reason. Yeah, that's it. The best line in Star. <laughs> I love that. that is um, very true actually I think yeah. it is fantastic but um, my point was though that like one of the reasons why Empire works so well despite that story that you know kind of meanders takes curves goes down cul-de-sacs and kind of spins a little bit ignoring the fact the cast is tremendous the chemistry is amazing the imagery is striking and it just looks beautiful it's also very well structured thematically and in terms of like the elements it keeps coming back to so like the dismembering of the Wampa foreshadowing like Luke's dismemberment at the climax Luke dangling upside down in the cave in a way that foreshadows you know the bit where he'd dangle upside down in, in Bespin and things like that Luke the thought way- what was coming to him being racist <laughs> swamp <laughs> Finally, finally somebody's justice. But yeah, and, and even things like, for example, the fact that it opens on Hoth with the defeat of the Rebel Alliance, which kind of sets in motion this plot that ends with kind of a more personal defeat for Luke and Leia and for Han, who's frozen in carbonite. Like the way in which the film has its ideas that run through it from beginning to end, which kind of anchor it much more than, you know, ABC plotting or kind of linear, kind of straightforward narrative. It's like, no, this movie is about these things it's probably the tightest narrative in the the star wars movies um it's tightest narrative i think tightest thematically yeah i think so as in like it it knows what it's doing it seems like like with with star wars there's a sense of like lucas almost writing the force awakens is also very uh tightly kind of structured thematically i would say 
Okay. Um, I will concede. <laughs> Despite your misgivings. I will concede that The Last Jedi is a bit more loosey-goosey. Yes. Um, I mean, again, as, as Darren's obligatory, you know, middleman situation on The Last Jedi is, it's wonderfully ambitious, it looks visually stunning, but the pacing is shot to hell, and, you know, it isn't necessarily structured Darren, in a way. you can say don't at me as fancifully as you like. <laughs> they will at <laughs> they you. They will at me eventually. Um, is there anything else you want to talk about? Anything that we haven't discussed already uh, with regards to... The Empire Strikes Back. Who is that lad with the cool headphones? What's his name? <laughs> oh, Lando's Lando's yeah, partner. Lando's yeah, like yeah, the guy yeah. he's left holding, presumably left going, running Cloud City. Are we going to the fact machine? Do you want to go to the fact machine yes, and check? This yes, is our obligatory yeah. favorite secondary <laughs> Star Wars character. Um, the important thing is that Lando doesn't know what his name is. No. <laughs> Well, we'll uh, actually, two people who can't pronounce names, Lando Calrissian <laughs> and Darren Mooney. And we're back from the fact machine. It was actually much quicker than getting Wee Teeth QB. It's Lobot. Lobot. Which sounds kind of uh, like, I'm not sure if you were like a cyborg, you'd want to be called Lobot. Seems like Lando's just sort of gone out on his own there. It's like, actually, my name is Lawrence. Lobot. You're Lobot. Yeah. Ready to escape plans, Labot. Because uh, there is, there's this weird thing where the two of them are kind of like, when they're preparing the, the chamber and they're like, you know, set him to slave one, where like, ha- where sort of Lando and Lobot have this kind of thing where their eyes almost meet, like they're shiftily planning something. And part of it he has one- an He has a, um, a Google Watch app that, <laughs> that connects with, with his Lobot. Yeah. And well, that's was a, Lobot a, a a an android or a cyborg? A cyborg. He, Lobot, also known by the nickname this, this Lobot, from Wikipedia. Yeah, by the way. was a male human from the planet Bespin who, with the assistance of his AJ to the power of six cyborg construct, was paid to run battlefield calculations for the Galactic Empire. However, he eventually began working with the smuggler Lando Calrissian aboard the Millennium Falcon, running numerous criminal jobs. During one job, the theft of the Emperor's personal yacht. Lobot was gravely wounded by an Imperial Guard. In his injured state, Lobot's mind was lost. Jesus Christ. In his injured state, Lobot's mind was lost and his cybernetic implants took over. The time, in the time to come, Calrissian became Baron Administrator of Cloud City on Lobot's home world and Lobot served as his aide and chief. That's really dark. Lando basically, like, yeah, lobotomized his best friend and took over his friend's planet. He's got previous. He took his other best friend's brain and put it into a spaceship. So that yeah. he could navigate <laughs> easier. <laughs> Lando really is. Like, if he wasn't played by Billy D. Williams. <laughs> oh, no, but it was okay that I actually did that, baby, because I feel bad about it. <laughs> pretty, pretty much. What can I say, Darren? I'm a son of a bitch. Um, but yeah, so that that's the... The Lobo. Emperor has a yacht. <laughs> a personal I need to know what the name of the yacht is. There is a, need to know what the, there's a personal that, yacht on the Enterprise as well. Yeah, the captain's yacht. They the use captain's it in, yacht. Um, the, <laughs> yacht, or star yacht, was a generalized term for any type of vessel whose primary purpose was that of recreation and leisure, as well as for the personal vessels of certain individuals. The luxury 3000 space yacht and the petite obu yacht were examples of this type of vessel. How would we know as- what a yacht is without Wikipedia? <laughs> make sure you put... The, yeah, yeah, mate. Get the make sure the the emperor's girls are on the emperor's yacht. The, <laughs> the emperor's yacht. Uh, uh, do you want to know the name of it? Actually, I definitely do. Imperialist. Great. Was a imperialist. Uh, imperialist. No, imperialist. 
uh, was a luxury pleasure craft owned by Supreme Chancellor and eventually Galactic Emperor Palpatine. I love the luxury pleasure craft makes it sound like what happens on Imperialist stays on Imperialist. Yeah, that, that it, is... it, it, it fits because like we know... The girls want to see my force lightning. We know that the Emperor likes to show off by, by taking people out to the opera. Yeah. You know, we we know that um, Snoke has that like <laughs> luxurious robe that he wears. You know, obviously being being on top has its, uh, its advantages, like... <laughs> <laughs> all right so i like the sleazy side to the to the dark side that's kind of uh seductive well the yoda does describe the dark side as seductive have which you again ever gets- heard the story of darth plagueis he had a really cool yacht <laughs> and this gets back to lucas's whole weird sex stuff where it's like the dark side is seductive and it's how you make people I feel I feel it should be verified whether or not George Lucas has weird sex stuff before <laughs> he described to him. <laughs> yeah, like like you can you can look at any movie and, and interpret it yeah, through that. I think Darren has. Lines. I think George Lucas is a pretty sexless figure from where I'm coming from. Yeah. But again, what defines the dark side is the power to make people and that it's seductive. And the yachts. And the yachts. Those sexy, sexy yeah, yachts. The, uh, Lucas, oh, um, is the dark side stronger? And and Yoda's response is no. Um, <laughs> but I'm not convinced. I feel like it is. Well, the if lightning people would just embrace the dark side, I think there's nothing you couldn't accomplish. And on that note, <laughs> is there anything else we want to talk about? Anything that we haven't discussed already in this long, rambling, meandering conversation about the Star Wars Holiday Special and the Empire Strikes Back? Um, I don't think so. I do like that Star Wars has a very through line that caves are evil. <laughs> that they all... Caves and in inverted commas. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just interesting. You know, It's like yeah. poetry. They rhyme. They rhyme, yeah. Um, so normally at the end of the podcast we ask people to recommend something for listeners so if you have something you're enjoying or something you'd like to point people towards um, what would you recommend do you have anything that you've been enjoying lately Luke the thing that I've been enjoying lately is the video game called Untitled Goose Game which is the greatest video game in history Um, ever yeah it's it's you're it's a lovely day in the village and you're a naughty goose and you kind of just go around not a euphemism you go around causing havoc for the villagers and like stealing their stuff and like hassling them and honking at them, and it's the most fun I've ever had ever. Movies are dead to me. Uh, now, Untitled Goose Game is my best friend. It's all that exists. And Andrew, do you have something you'd recommend for listeners? Um, Don't say the holiday special. No, no. <laughs> a few things. There's, there's like Super Ego do a um, commentary on this with Irving Kirshner, Alec Guinness um, and oh, who else is on it? I don't think Peter Cushing because Peter Cushing isn't in this but um, yeah, there's there's a few people um, uh, from uh, from the movie or in the case of Alec Guinness, not from the movie um, uh, Star Wars Lego is fun um, the, uh, the, the, the computer game um, so is Star Wars Battlefront um, Which also stars Billy D. Williams as Lando Calrissian. Really? Because he's so yeah. possessive of the character. Because it's weird. They had a Star Wars he's so possessive of his yacht. <laughs> he doesn't want the Landos of the real world stealing. What do we think Lando... Co- anyway, never mind. I was just going to Can you home. play as... I know you can play as uh, as Boba Fett. In, like, w- the one I'm thinking of is before the reboot. 
So I think on the like Xbox and PlayStation 2, they had a uh, Star Wars Battlefront and Star Wars Battlefront 2. Then they rebooted it with Star Wars Battlefront. And then they had a Star Wars Battlefront 2. So it's very confusing. I'm recommending Star Wars Battlefront 2, the original. Ah. Yeah. Um, and, and, and if anybody has played the other ones to, 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 to check know. it out, it's cool. You, Our- um, yeah. I, I, I guess aside from that, um, I like the birthday boy sketch about um, Star Wars because um, there's an entirely different movie um, also called Star Wars. But um, it's one word or is it two words? Star Wars. Is it two words or one? In the title of the movie we're discussing? In the title two. of the movie we're discussing. Two. Words. two. Definitely so two this words. one, it's one. Okay. Um, it's the opposite of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in terms of recommendations from me, uh, a couple of comics. Uh, I would recommend Kieran Gillen's uh, and Salvador La Roca's recent uh, Marvel run on Darth Vader, uh, which basically fills that plot hole um, that was created in The Empire Strikes Back a lot more elegantly than, by the way, your son is really alive. You should probably take a moment to process that. Um, it's it's really good. It's a 24-issue series that basically goes between A New Hope um, and The Empire Strikes Back and follows how Darth Vader went from being the sole survivor of the greatest economic loss in the history of the Galactic Empire to a guy who's trusted to, like, you know, run invasions of Hoth. It's very, very good. You'd think when Darth Vader sees that this guy is called Luke Skywalker... Something would twig. Would instantly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the sun. I mean... That the I fire a, kind of... I give him a pass on Leia, but like, that's a pretty big... <laughs> hint right there. Skywalker, it's like the Smith of the Star Wars universe. Because like Lando comes in, he's like, yeah, he's looking for some kid named Skywalker. I'm like, I know four or five different Skywalkers living here. Um... But yeah, and then I would also recommend uh, the writer W. Hayden Blackman wrote a couple of comics as well, uh, focusing on Darth Vader between episode three and A New Hope, which are very good. So like the ninth, com- the Lost Command, um, the Ghost Prison um, as well. I would I would wholeheartedly recommend those uh, if oh, you want some Darth Vader related content. I think I recommended it last year, but I'll recommend it again. Mission to Six. The uh, oh, the, the yeah. podcast. The yeah. it's scripted and that's such, is it scripted it, or improvised? No, uh, actually impro- improvised. Improvised. Yes, yeah. Actually it's just uh, science fiction. But and I believe they've done that uh, since. They there's an LA based um, also kind of uh, group of improvisers who've themselves done the same thing which i'm not very approving of you've just i don't know it's yeah. probably just as good so maybe check them both out goose game is about the appeal of the dark side so that wasn't completely we asked luke to go first and then sort of like i would say just to come in under the under the right i would recommend thx as well yeah uh, it's very good yeah um, it's very it's well worth seeking out as well um, and again, Lucas doesn't get a lot of love. I got a lot of love. I kind of have a, a soft spot. THX 1138. Yeah, yeah. Um, and again, like we talked about this on Star Wars, where, you know, despite any quote unquote accusations I may level at Lucas about his weird sex stuff, um, I actually have a huge soft spot for Lucas as a director in terms of a man who does whatever he wants. A man who does, like, no, but he is. He's an auteur. He makes the movies that he wants to make without any regard for, for other people, uh, without any regard for what the audience wants. I mean, I love the, you know, when we were recording this recently, there'd been him complaining about the sequel trilogy. And the part of that news that kind of like a lot of people were like, oh, he's complaining, like, look at the prequels or whatever. You know, clearly it would be crazy. And there was like, he's going to explain what midichlorians are now. That's the next logical step. Um, But I like that even when he was doing this, he was like, yeah, and the fans would have hated it, too. And I'm kind of like, Lucas, I kind of admire that. I like your gumption. Um, But yeah, so, so, you know, I have a a soft spot for for, for Lucas. I think Lucas is 
he's a hustle guy that doesn't want to admit that that's that's, what that's he a hustle. Like yeah. he, I, I, there is auteurish maybe aspects to him, but as you say, he found very quickly that he didn't actually really enjoy didn't directing like writing or directing. Um, so he's kind of more the big kind of, picture guy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's kind of more a Stan Lee than a than a Jack, Jack Kirby. Kirby yeah. Yeah. Uh, which probably probably fits there. Anyway, Luke, if people are looking for a bit more Luke in their lives, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at Mr. Cynical, and I also host a podcast of my own with my sister called The Breakout Role Pod, where we look at the first starring roles of Hollywood icons. And do you have anything coming up for Christmas, actually? Uh, we'll see. <laughs> Cut that bit. You, you are putting way too much faith in my ability to plan it. I find your lack of faith disturbing. <laughs> we are. We're. We're actually. We're hoping at some point to do uh, Star Wars because Ooh. it's interesting because Star Wars is the breakout role of Mark three people. Oh, really. Yeah, that's the three names. Um, and, and, yeah. We'll, well, we'll get to that when we get to it. Okay. <laughs> don't, don't, don't rush don't me, Darren. <laughs> Haven't you run your own podcast well enough? Um, Andrew, we can find you online. We can find me. At the time of recording, um, uh, ominously, I'm I'm not... um, We're searching the force at the moment. We sent off Imperial Probe Droids. Who knows if I'll be on On my little vanity um, project. At the time that this is uh, released. We're we're doing this live, though. Um, It's it's snowing outside. (laughs) It's like hot out there. Um, Some like it hot. But anyway, you can follow me at Darren underscore Mooney. Um, you can follow the podcast at After250. We're available on Stitcher, on SoundCloud, on Spotify, wherever good or sometimes not so good podcasts are available to download. Next week, uh, because Christmas is coming up, one of two things is going to happen. We're going to record both. <laughs> Either uh, next week we're going to uh, talk about the apartment as our Christmas episode with the wonderful Renock and Gregor. Uh-huh. I'm actually really looking forward to that discussion. Me too. Uh, it's it's going to be great fun. Uh, but there's also the possibility because Rise of the Skywalker is being released this weekend. And keeping in mind, none I'll, of the three I'll of us have seen this. That's a possibility. That is. There's a possibility that Rise of the Skywalker might make the 250. And actually, before we go, one last question then. Luke, do you think... Like, will we be back here talking about Rise of the Skywalker next week, do you think? Depends on if they course correct or... or when you say course correct... If they cave in to... And again, yeah. I, I know well, a lot of people that don't yeah, like those movies, yeah, yeah, it's fine. Very, yeah. But if, if they if they change the course to they appeal want. more to what fans want, then it will, 100%. If they don't, then it won't. <laughs> I mean, yeah, and I'm kind of, I'm kind of curious about this. Yeah, so this is one of those movies that I'm not sure about. So join us next week when we talk about one of two things. Take it easy, guys. Bye. 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 Thank you, Luke. You're very welcome. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you very Bobby De Niro. Am I am I saying that right? Yeah, you said it right. All right, now I'm I'm Darren Mooney. I'm a co-host of a podcast that looks at the IMDb's top 250 movies of all time as voted for by users. Now, under the terms of the list, there are only a very select set of circumstances in which a Martin Scorsese movie and a Robert De Niro movie wouldn't make the list. So, uh, yeah, is it a documentary about a kind of a musician like I don't know Bob Dylan or the Rolling Stones? No. And uh, is it a spiritual psychological drama about jesuits in 17th century japan no all right then and uh just one more question bobby strictly pro forma 
have you made any remarks in the recent past that could be characterized as political in nature? You know, maybe something about President Donald Trump. On a job? Yeah. He is a, he's a fake president. It's no longer down with Trump, it's... I don't think so. All right, then. I guess we'll be talking about the Irishman in a couple of weeks. Actually, you know, Bobby, we're, we're doing a season of, of Scorsese films next year. And I uh, I wanted to call it Score Scorsese for 2020. Right. But it, it seems like uh, some people have been complaining about it now. It doesn't, doesn't matter who they are. Not a big deal. We're, we're going to do it anyway. You, you know that, right? Yeah, I know. Yeah, so it, it really doesn't make a difference who it was who, who complained about that. What do you want to know? You want to know if I did it or not? No, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying it, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't make a difference to me. Who it was who said that? It's, it's grand. It's not a big deal. <laughs> all right then. Yeah, all right. But 